This episode of How To Wrestling was requested by Dylan, one of our lovely backers over at patreon.com forward slash How To Wrestling, where, hey, if you like the show, you can get access to a whole load of goodies for as little as $5 a month. Today, we have just dropped our latest edition of Pay-Per-View Classic, my favorite podcast series to record, where Joe and I have went in deep on SummerSlam 2013. As well as that, this month, you've got Royal Rumble and Elimination Chamber pay-per-view reviews, as well as pay-per-view reviews going all the way back to 2016 from WWE, NXT, AEW and our ongoing Total Divas series. New episodes each and every month where we look at the tangled web that is weaved between reality and kayfabe and reality TV. In case you're a fan of some of the other podcasts in this here Podcrabs network, very happy to announce to you all that myself, Joe and our good pal Adam from the Attitude Podcast have reunited and returned to our favourite show in the universe it's raw you can now check it out wherever you get your audio on a new feed just search it's raw podcast you can follow us on twitter at it's raw podcast and there's a new episode available to get your ears around it's the revival of kitchen nightmares so it's a fitting return of it's raw if you want to hear myself joe and adam talk about horrible food kitchen confessionals and the big man himself gordon ramsay head on over to it's raw and you will have a whole bevy of great episodes but for now it's time to settle in put on our anxiety reducing sunglasses and do the gatling gun position as the pyro goes off for hollywood megastar the animal it's how to batista Welcome to the episode of How To Wrestling, the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling, how to get into wrestling, how to understand wrestling, and goodness knows how to enjoy wrestling. And today we're talking about one of my all-time guilty pleasures in the world of wrestling. Today we're talking about the animal, Dave Batista. However, once again, it's me, your old pal, Kevin Mann. Join us now always by my partner in this podcast and in life, it's the animal Joe Graham. Hello. How are you doing today, Joe? I'm so good. I was very interested with your journey with Big Dave here today. Uh, someone who is obviously very recognisable outside of the world of wrestling. Obviously an icon within WWE itself, but he feels like he is spun off to... like. I think you have a good chance of not even knowing that he was a wrestler if you're a standard person on the street. Is that fair to say? I don't know. It's so hard for me to judge because how can you look at someone like Dave Batista and not not go, yeah, he must be a wrestler, right? But I guess you could look at him and go, maybe he's a bodybuilder. Or I mean, maybe you know that he was a wrestler, but you wouldn't know that he was, during his time, pegged for absolute greatness. Maybe he was a super duper top guy or anything like that. I can speak a little bit on that as someone who got into wrestling late, which is that most people who don't watch wrestling don't realise that there are mid-carders and jobbers. Right, you just think you're a star, that's You it. think if you're a wrestler, you're a star. That's <laughs> it. It's like this kind of juvenile idea of wrestling where, like, if you are a professional wrestler, you must be earning, like, millions of dollars. You must be, like, a huge name in the business. You must be being pushed to the moon. And obviously, as wrestling fans, we know that is definitely not the case. So... The first memories you have of Batista, because he is somewhat intertwined with the very, very, very early days of A, you getting interesting, and B, this podcast, I think. I'm trying to think when the first time... 
I would have seen him would be. I think I actually, I, I, I believe, because I remember one of the first sets of matches I showed you is showed you the Shields. Yeah. This happens when you go out with someone who's on Tumblr. Like he yes. Get, he gets them via the Shield. That's, I know how to nab me this Tumblr girl. Exactly. You bridge the gap between Tumblr and wrestling. Mm-hmm. It's the Shield, everyone. I remember you watched the Shield versus the Wyatts and your, your eyes grew big like saucers just because there were such different looking guys in the ring, all of whom seemed not like wrestlers. And then I showed you the Shield versus Evolution, and the team that was Evolution of Triple H, Randy Orton, and Batista most certainly, I feel, fell into the category of what you thought wrestlers yes. all looked like. But I remember you having a lot of fun with it. And when I tried to explain to you, yeah, this guy Batista, he's went away and he's come back and people don't like him anymore. They call him Bootista. He wore blue trunks and they called him <laughs> Bluetista. And like, I think it was the first time there was a character where there was more going on than what you were seeing on the screen, necessarily. How do you mean? As in, this is a guy who clearly was personally affected by the fan reaction. Right. And maybe the trajectory of his career outside of wrestling. Mm. And he wasn't just there, you know, like, like everyone else. He, he, was, he was different in his own way, I guess. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, did you know of Batista outside of that? Was he someone who had kind of permeated pop culture? What were your earliest memories otherwise of Batista? I don't remember really having ever come across Batista before I started doing the podcast with you, for you showing him to me. Yeah. I remember immediately, though, him catching my eye. In the 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 line of evolution, I remember Rick caught my eye because he was old. And I didn't realise... <laughs> I think he was my first old guy in wrestling. And I was like, shit, wrestlers can be old? Yeah. This is cool. I like this. And then Batista is so... He's so handsome. Handsome? He's so handsome. And I think... A lot of emphasis gets put on like Randy Orton being handsome, mm-hmm. and yeah, I remember you telling me way back in the day that like people you worked with, they were like, "Oh, oh my yeah. god!" Like John Cena and Randy Orton, the two mega hunks of wrestling, and you were like, oh, "I literally me. laughed in this girl's face." Show. <laughs> And then it was really bad because then she was like, yeah, the reason I, I started dating my now husband is because he reminded me of Randy Orton. I was like, fuck's sake. Ouch. I mean. <laughs> I've just inadvertently really hurt her feelings. Ouch. And that kind of was one of the many steps that made me kind of rethink my attitude toward things and make me realise I need to accept that not everything is for me. Yes. I need to kind of be kinder, I think, to other people's attitudes to that. So I now accept that Randy Orton and John Cena are beautiful in their own way. I think Batista was very much for me when I was growing up. He was the definition of a guy where, oh, he's not for me. Like, I remember, like, being, a, you know, late kind of teens, mid to late teens when Batista would have risen to the top of, of wrestling, like, kind of 16 to, to 80 would have been when I was watching him the most. I remember, like, all the time thinking, like, oh, yeah, you know, he's, he's not bad or anything like that, but he's not my guy. Like, I'm not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have identified as a Batista fan because... You know, I tried, I wanted to be like kind of Mr. Uh, counterculture wrestling fan and not like the obvious faves, you know. Yeah. This is this comes from a household where, where I remember growing up, my brother hated Stone Cold Steve Austin. What? Because he was the top guy. That's so boring. And he's like, oh, is he going to win again? I'm like, yeah, he better. <laughs> but in Batista was a guy where I was like, you know, the whole time I was like, yeah, yeah, Dave's cool and all that. You know, I'm happy for the little kids who get to enjoy Dave. And I can't think of an episode that we've done ever where I have fallen in love with a wrestler that I was fully aware of all of the ins and outs of his story and all that. Yeah. I've not learned new things about Batista is what I want to say in the research for this, but just visiting everything that I already knew about him and his journey. Oh boy. I'm like the biggest Batista fan in the world. Now it feels like <laughs> it's like I had this kind of blind nostalgia that I wasn't like, 
I didn't realize it could be nostalgic for things that at the time I was like, no, I don't, I don't care for this actually that much. I think you are right though in that he wasn't for you. Yeah. I think he was for the kids. I think he was for the girls and the gay guys as well. Like he's eye candy. He sure is. And he's he's very toyetic, is that the word? Yeah, he looks like an action figure comes to he life. He does, yeah. You know? I think you could easily see with Batista just from the way he looks. And I wouldn't disagree with anyone who they who didn't know anything about him go, oh yeah, he's probably a big deal in wrestling. Yeah. Or they go, oh yeah, he'll probably be a big deal in Hollywood. Because look at him. Yeah. And I think that is a big part of Dave's story. Just look at him. Just look at him, yeah. But there's so much more to him yes. than just how he looks. Yeah. I think it's quite fascinating. I don't think there's many surprises with Batista for a lot of folks who followed him. But I think your first assumption of Batista will almost always be wrong, I think. I think that's true, and I think it's going to be the case with any muscle men. It is interesting that you say, like, the whole, just look at him, he must be a wrestler thing. Because in professional wrestling, a lot of guys are built kind of like Batista. Like, you've got John Cena, who's fucking huge. You've got Brock Lesnar, who's fucking huge. A lot of people who I consider, like, stereotypical wrestlers, like Triple H as well, like, they are absolutely massive. They are bodybuilders, yeah, essentially. being a bodybuilder physique, that's not unique in wrestling. That's if anything, not, yeah. it's, you could say it's passe. Like. And yet, <laughs> Batista is still so impressive as a specimen that he manages to stand out among all the other bodies in that body business. Yeah, he's not like a Bobby Lashley or a Ryback or a Scott Steiner or any other kind of big muscle dudes we've done episodes mm. of. And yet, like, I couldn't tell you what it was specifically about him that makes him feel kind of unique. I mean, he's got loads of tattoos. But, like, loads of guys have loads of tattoos. That's really not uncommon. I think he's got an intensity about him. He has a look. And I think he's a great example of kind of faking it till you make it in many respects. He's someone who I think, in wrestling, if you look like a badass, I think this is, like, in life as well, if you're a big, huge dude... And you're quiet, people will make the assumption that you're a badass. Oh, God, absolutely. I mean, you... They won't jump to the conclusion and go, oh, you're probably anxious, are you? (laughs) That's it. I I imagine you relate a lot to that because you're a big guy. Yes. You have social anxiety. And I think... (laughs) I think a lot of men who are tall or big get wrongly... You know, people judge a book by its cover and they see a big guy and I think they assume, oh, he must be very confident because he's big and I want to be big. It's that meme of the party and I'm in the back and my my picture is made larger and, and the thought is everyone here knows that I'm big. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I think certain assumptions get made. I mean, I certainly remember being shocked when like someone kind of... I remember once it was like, oh, you're probably kind of like, um, you're used to kind of getting your way or kind of, kind of assumed kind of a forcefulness of character. Mm. And I remember being like, like, being like what? <laughs> like, what, what? I'm just a large fucking child, you know, that's, <laughs> and I think, you know, it's very relatable for Batista in many respects. I will say one thing about Batista that was kind of um, strange to me was that, yeah, he's a guy who's, he talks openly about his anxiety. I think if you type in Batista into Google, like, anxiety is, like, the first fucking thing that pops up beside mm-hmm. it. I don't know if we're blowing any minds here. We'll get into the kind of the hows and the whys of it, that he is an anxious guy or anything like that. But what is interesting and different for me is just kind of, like, how in tune with it he is. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I know I'm an anxious person. And I know I have social anxiety and stuff like that. But I would say that even in you know, haven't been diagnosed or, you know, worked on that. You know, I've been to therapy, you know, I've been on medication in the past and all that. 
I would say I feel like I'm less in tune with my social anxiety as Batiste is because it feels like he's constantly thinking and or talking about it. Mm. Whereas for me, it's kind of situational, you know? Yeah. Every single day I don't wake up and feel anxious or, you know, overall every single thing I do. I have those moments and I have, you know, moods and times where it gets worse. But Batista, I don't say he's fraught with anxiety, but I would say it's one of the core fucking pillars of what makes Dave Batista is that anxiety. It came out in his wrestling career, in his acting career, who he is as a person, how he kind of defines himself. Yeah. Which I think is like, it's very impressive because it's not a, I wouldn't be the first one to jump up and be like, hi, I'm Kevin, I'm I'm anxious. I don't, I don't want that to define me because mm. like, I don't get a lot of joy out of being anxious. I'd rather be known for lots of other things. Whereas Batista, I'm not sure if it's kind of like a PR angle to make him seem more relatable because of how you know he appears at the, on the surface level. But man, that is like, he carries that with him. You yeah. know, we've seen so many documentaries about Batista, not just from WWE, but from all different walks of, of entertainment. Mm. This man has no less than five documentaries on the WWE network. I think that's the most out of any wrestler we've covered. But he's not like the biggest name of no. all time. And I will definitely say, as time goes on, it feels like his legacy in wrestling, I don't want to say it's in question, but there would have been a time like 10 years ago where people would have been like, oh yeah, Mount Rushmore, the top names of this era, he would have been right up there. <laughs> and I think that people would kind of, he'd slip by a little bit now. I think that most, because he has such success elsewhere, people mm. would kind of almost second guess his his legacy in, in wrestling, you know? Mm. Um, <laughs> it's, it's difficult as well because he came up in a time, or should I say he came up with other names who have stuck around yes. and who have firmly planted their feet as I am a big name in wrestling. Yeah. I don't think that's ever been Dave's goal. No, I think John Cena, you'll never divorce wrestling away from him. No. Dwayne The Rock Johnson, yeah. similarly. But I do still believe, like, Batista is... I don't think he's, like, trying to escape his past from wrestling. No. But if you didn't know that he was a wrestler, I don't think his heart would be broken or anything that's like that. That's it. I feel a lot of wrestlers, they are, like, hyper-fixated on wrestling. And, and their legacy yeah. in wrestling. They live breathe wrestling that is their life that's how their whole life they grew up watching it and that's all they want to be known for and that's absolutely fine and it's actually very good and to be a wrestler with that type of attitude yeah because you know in wrestling you're gonna have an ego if you're a top star yeah. and if you're not thinking about your legacy it could you know wash by you or anything like that but dave feels more like a renaissance man he feels <laughs> more like he wants to try a bit of everything and see what he's good at and i think as well he wants to I think he wants to push himself to learn new things, which I feel a lot of wrestlers are a bit stubborn about, maybe. Yeah, he's definitely someone who got a slow start yeah. in many respects. And not just in wrestling, but I think kind of figuring out what he wanted to do in his life. Where he grew up, I mean, I remember like watching this, uh, this one of the documentaries we followed which was I Walk Alone, which came out like 09 or thereabouts. But I remember that was the first time I saw Piece of Media as a kid, where I was like, oh, wait. Washington, D.C. is, like, rough. Mm. I thought it was, like, where the White House and Obama lived. <laughs> I thought it was, like, the streets were paved with municipal printed gold. Yeah. I thought it was, like, you know, a good place to live up. I hadn't watched The Wire yet. I didn't know about... How big it is. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's shocking for a WWE PG-era documentary mm. how upfront they were about, yeah, like, there'd be people shot dead in Dave's front yard. and. Yeah. He grew up pretty damn hard. Yeah. So One of the hardest upbringings I think we've come across in this show. 
They mentioned in this documentary, they mentioned about three people dying in his backyard. And I, I read into one of them and apparently the, the final straw, which led to his mum moving away from the area where it was very, very rough for them, was Dave and his siblings were playing in their backyard. They like lived in an alleyway, yeah, yeah. like in, literally in a basement in a building in an alleyway. And apparently the final straw was they were playing in this alley and a guy had been shot and he was dying. He was bleeding to death. Jesus Christ. And the ambulance took so long to arrive that he died. And Batista's mum apparently was there when this guy passed away and she saw the, the her kids basically playing in the alleyway while he led to death and they were completely nonplussed by it because they'd seen like two other yeah. guys die like just outside their house and that was the thing that made her go this is really bad mm. my kids are being desensitized to really bad violence yeah there's one thing about like kind of oh they're watching violent tv and playing yeah. video games are desensitized no if you're playing in an alley with a dead body that's actual desensitization yeah to, to, to actual violence but yeah, Dave grew up in a very diverse area in DC. You know, he grew up with people from all different cultures and his actual background himself is very, very interesting. And we got a lot of tweets about this that people were very happy to to lay claim to, to Dave being their, their hero because he's half Filipino, half Greek. Mm-hmm. Not many Filipino or Greek wrestling superstars or Hollywood megastars. Yeah. And there's a lot of people in wrestling where, hey, you've got a background... And maybe that background becomes kind of like a a gimmick or a parody or whatever it was. But for Batista, it seemed like kind of later in his life, he really embraced this identity. He really embraced the fact that, you know, the Philippines fucking adore him. He's got legions of fans there. His, I think his dad was Filipino and his mom was Greek. Yeah. And of course, you know, Batista who's covered head to toe in tattoos. There's Filipino and Greek references and, you know, DC references all over his body, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so his parents divorced when he was quite young. So he he did grow up with his mum. Yeah. And then around the time when he was like 12 or 13, I think, and I may be wrong on the exact ages, he, there was an issue with at home. I think his mum was going through some kind of personal issue. And so he was basically sent away to go live with his dad. In like Virginia, so that's kind of yeah, quite a far. change of pace to go from like the inner city like you know the streets essentially yeah. in, in dc to to go live rural virginia whatever it is and i think it was hard for him as well because he didn't it's not like his dad had shared custody up to that point he never really saw him yeah and i don't think it's without cause that he spoke so little of his father throughout all the various you know tales of his life that we saw yeah the most he can bring himself to say is i didn't have a relationship with him yeah you know that's it it's like i he, just, he said at one point, one of the docs we watched, he's just some guy. Yeah. You know, and they would be very pointy at showing kind of childhood photos. And like, if there is a picture of Dave and his dad, they're like five people apart type yeah. of thing. And Dave always looks miserable. I, I know he went through a really rough patch in his life at that time. Yeah. I know Dave got into, he calls it petty crime, which I think is an interesting <laughs> I way mean, of talking about it. It reminds me of the Sabu episode where he was like, uh, yeah, I stole, but I wasn't a thief. I'm yeah. like, Dave, you stole from shops. Most would claim that. It's like... he, yeah, because it definitely started as petty stuff. So he actually, him and his friends, they had this little gang and he... <laughs> They would steal, it's, it starts off really sad, actually. They would steal, like, supplies, like food. And, right, like, yeah, yeah. Like, um, hygiene supplies and stuff like that. Stuff that they actually needed and couldn't afford. And they'd steal it from kind of, like, richer kids' houses. Right, So it okay. starts off, like, with kind of not 
bad intentions but then it kind of escalated and eventually he was like stealing cars and stuff and he was 13 at this time he wasn't a thief right keep that in mind right quite quite (laughs) hardcore crimes yeah i mean he can spiral off pretty pretty hard there and i know like he's your typical story like i I was a teacher there was a lot of people like this where clearly he had some great drive but he had no kind of fully realized ambition he know he wanted to do something you know he didn't he had something in him and he had all this energy or whatever it was but it wasn't going to be spent in any one thing like he did high school sports but he didn't excel in kind of any of them because he didn't put much focus into any of it he did a little bit of wrestling but he wasn't able to qualify for the team because his grades were so poor they wouldn't actually put him on the high school team Mm. so he was you know, one of the documentaries they said that, oh, he kind of barely scraped by. And then in one of the much later ones where he's there sitting in this giant mansion, a little bit more confident in himself, he admits that he didn't even have his high school diploma. Yeah, so it was kind of, it's one of those things that you, I guess Americans are probably more familiar with this, but my only knowledge of this is kind of through television, of this whole thing of like, you can stay in school and you can keep doing this wrestling that you enjoy, but you have to keep your grades up. Yes. Which is so weird because that's like not a thing in the UK of like, <laughs> if your grades aren't up, that's that's it. You don't get to do sports like regardless. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I remember in the, the rugby schools around where I was and there was kids who were like fucking 19 years old who were being held back. Like, you don't want to do the Leaving Cert this year. Hold back one year. We need one more. What the fuck? We need one more trophy in the in the cabinet. That's so like. mad. I mean, maybe it does happen in the UK, but like just not in the school not I the, went to. Not on the scale maybe and maybe not kind of part of the, the culture or whatever yeah. it is. But... I I think Batista's one of these lads where if he was a proper ace and focused and he had like a guidance, I'm sure he would have had the, the wheels greased for him to be oh, the big absolutely. jock. absolutely. But that's the thing. He grew up near the projects. And I think, I think for a lot of kids in those areas, especially if you're from a low income background and you've got maybe only one parent, you aren't encouraged to follow your dreams. No, I think you know, he was pegged as being some sort of a lost cause early yeah, on. Yeah, you're kind of told, like, lower your expectations, like, this is all you'll be good for. So the only thing that really ever drove him and motivated him was actually going to the gym. He <laughs> loved working out. Yeah, he had, a, he had a key to the weight room. And this guy, like, there are pictures you see. And it's like, literally, as soon as he hits that late kind of teen and yeah. period you know, kind of 17 onwards, he's just like suddenly transforms. Like it feels like... Oh yeah, he balloons. It, he goes huge. And looking at Batista from his late teens to his late 20s, this man went through a long, long litany of different looks mm-hmm. and vibes. The one thing that was kind of consistent throughout all of it was that the dude was fucking massive. Yeah. I mean, we had some pictures of Dave with long flowing hair. We had bald Dave at a mm-hmm. few points in time. But the one thing that was always very striking is that when he saw him when he had the kind of the, the crew cut or whatever it is, it's like that dude looked like a fucking supermodel. He had that He's proper gorgeous. GQ, like yeah. maybe for the period of time it stood out a bit, but he had that perfect fucking like the piercing eyes. Yeah. You know, he looked very well groomed and put together and all that, even though I don't think he was someone who was necessarily putting a whole deal of thought into how he looked necessarily. That's it, because it's not like... A lot of guys who get into bodybuilding do it because they want to look big or want to look good. And Dave has said himself that he's not... You know, he is motivated by that, but not in the way that a lot of other guys are. Like, he has actually said on the record that he believes... He he calls it reverse anorexia, which is kind of an informal name for a very legitimate mental health disorder called muscle dysmorphia. Right, so he wants to pack on masks, get bigger, It's get not bigger. just a case of he wants to. It's a case of... We'll, we'll post some pictures on our Twitter. 
Dave Batista, age 16, huge. Like, literally, by the age of 17, he was nearly 400 pounds. He yeah, was so no, he, big. His peak, he was, I think they said he was 380. Yeah. And, you know, uh, the height of his run, we just watched, you know, a match him and The Undertaker from WrestleMania 23. He was 320 then. Yeah, so he and, lost a lot of weight when he got into wrestling. But, like... You know, he would have been one of the biggest men I'd ever yeah. seen at that point Absolutely in time. Absolutely huge, yeah. You know? But he was I'd bigger seen, yeah. when he was a teenager. But that's it. It's not like he saw it and was like, great, I need to get bigger. He would look at himself and be like, oh, God, I'm so small. God, I... Oh, I need to. I need to work out, man. I look like shit. Like it's just, it's, it's like anore- it is like anorexia, and that you, you're not seeing a real version of yourself. He does kind of have the healthier side of it, though, which is something we saw in the Bobby episode. Which is yeah. he uses it as kind of like a therapy. He uses it as a way to work out aggression. That's it. It's and, not like he's, know. it's not like he's punishing himself when he works out. He loves working out, and for him, that was like. He says it's the first time he ever felt peace was when he first went to the gym. Yeah. So it's obviously so helpful for him to work out. Because, yeah, just... when you mention things like muscle dysmorphia, it does make me think immediately of like, you know, you and I are big fans of pumping iron. And, yeah. You know, we did an episode on the WBF on our Patreon page. There are a lot of bodybuilders and professional wrestlers yes. with body muscle dysmorphia. And you could say that for a lot of those folks, I mean, I think of the, the lad who... Who talks about you know on his fucking high school prom he just was running around the track nonstop and yeah. trying to get bigger and bigger and it's like I don't think anything positive has come from that dude in 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 the world of bodybuilding and I know there were issues with it for Dave but I think ultimately it was a positive thing for him because yeah. it was the only thing it seemed that kind of cleared took, his head yeah yeah and you think right okay obviously you're into bodybuilding you're fucking huge they talked to all of his friends in all these documentaries and they're all like he was the biggest man i've ever seen like all these power lifter guys who are like yeah he was just fucking massive and huge but there seemed to be no point b you know we talked about the mark henry episode you start working out start lifting weights a coach sees him all right we're gonna do olympics you're gonna do powerlifting and all that Dave, and I mean this with no disrespect, because it's in his own words, he basically bummed around for 10 years. It's he didn't a, do much with his kind of size and his, his, his skill. You can completely see... I don't know, I, I personally can completely see how that happened, though, because if you think back to our Mark Henry episode, Mark Henry came from a very middle-class family. Yeah. He had a very broad community. Like, he did well in school. He had support. He had know. support from his school, his wider community, like... Genuinely, he was a, like a local celebrity yeah, was, as yeah. a teenager. Batista wasn't given any of those resources at all. So <laughs> I instead mean... of like, you know, that career into, you know, instead of being told by coaches and parents and stuff, hey, you could be in the Olympics, he just becomes a bouncer. Yeah, and it's a really weird place to find yourself in because I think there's probably a lot of people listening to this are either going through this now or have experienced this because like everyone I know, people who are either you know chasing dreams or mad successful or just getting by or whatever it is, that period in your early 20s to your early 30s, that 10 years, that's a crazy 10 years because yeah. I can look back 10 years ago and my mindset then is completely different to what it is now. And, that's it, you lose... You know, any resources you had in terms of support from school, community, whatever. I mean, it's always going to change. It's, yeah, it's going to change, but for most people, it's gone. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's quite not a there harsh adjustment for a lot yeah. of folks. Figuring out what you want to do is is really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the reason why they push you so hard to figure out, hey, what is it you want to do when you're like 17 or 18? You think, why are you asking me to do this now? Yeah. It's because, well, you're not going to be able to get this resource. That's it. When, you know, I feel for him because... 
he gets a job at a you know working in a gym kind of part-time he gets a few hours here and there being a bouncer he admits that the reason why he's hired as a bouncer is because he's so big yeah and he actually gets put into these high profile clubs because they have these promoters who are like oh no we want dave we want the big sexy muscle guy. guy yeah and he'll just stand there and dave says that, like well he was bouncing it's not like you know, Nash and, you know, when he was being a bouncer and he was like, oh, you know, you have to throw people out, get mm. fights, people pulling guns. Dave was like, no, I literally was hired to stand there and look intimidating. They would, like, if there was an issue, they wouldn't even use Dave. Yeah. Because Dave was the glamour in the, in the back. Yeah. And he did that for 10 years. He did. But it's worth mentioning as well. He started being a bouncer when he was 17. Fuck So... You know, legally, he wouldn't even be able to drink for another four years. That's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. But I do want to mention as well, because it's easy to kind of take what we've said so far and be like, oh, he's just like a big, you know, he is just a big softy. He can't fight. And that's not true at all. When he was in his little gang, when he was in living in his rough area with his friends, he actually was, he became the enforcer of the group. You know, when they did their little crime sprees. Lifelong enforcer. He was the muscle. And apparently they would get into fights very often. So it's not like, you know, he was scrapping from quite a young age. Yeah, I just, I feel it's wild that maybe it was the period of time when it was, or maybe whereabouts he was based. But we, we, we feel like we're missing the bit here where it's like, you're a bouncer, then wrestlers come into the bar and they go, that guy should be a yeah. wrestler. And then that's it. You're, you're, you're set for life. No. But that just kind of happen. didn't happen. No, he, he was just there for 10 years. And he randomly drops as well in the, in this documentary. Oh yeah. I had two kids as well at this point, mm. you know, and I don't want to try and get into and unweave the whole story about it because I don't think it ultimately has a massive bearing on his career or his legacy but to say that he had a dramatic couple of years between going from being a bouncer to actually deciding to try and give wrestling a whirl is an understatement. There are broken hearts. There are several, you know, scorned lovers. The mother of his children finds out that he is cheating on her with this other girl who he claims he completely felt like head over heels, just the most powerful love you could ever possibly feel yeah that's his ex-wife angie who yeah. he said he fell in love with her the very first time he saw her and he, he apparently that same day he called his mum and said this is the woman i'm going to marry so you have two kids with this other yeah. lady by the way who you are you know still together trying with. to be with yeah and the worst thing you could probably do in this situation is this weird kind of passive aggressive okay i will do all the things that you expect the good husbands or the good partner to do yeah even though i don't want to do even them i don't want to do them and i'm not going to fully commit <laughs> so the mother of his children kind of disappeared and she went to minneapolis because mm. she's like i don't want anything to do with him i'm moving far far away from him he followed her to minneapolis yeah. to live with her and to be you know there for her and totally miserable the entire time he's still calling back completely head over heels in love with this girl angie who when she describes the first time she saw Batista... It's really sweet. Oh, like, my God. It, I don't really believe in love at first sight or soulmates or anything, but, like, my God, it's hard not to with their story. It is very romantic. She said that when she saw him, she said that he was the most beautiful person she'd ever seen, that he was just so be- so beautiful, specifically the word that she used. And she said that her main takeaway was that he looked so sad and that she wanted just wanted to make him smile. Oh, good Lord. So Minneapolis, for the uninitiated, isn't just where Dave Batista went to do a slightly misguided attempt at playing house and being a good family man, but it's also one of the original hotbeds of professional wrestling, and even though it wasn't the, you know, the hotbed it would have been in the 80s, 
he finds himself training in a gym that shares alumni such as the Road Warriors, Rick Rude, Mr. Perfect. He has inadvertently found himself in one of the absolute big wrestling cities of all time. And it's in that gym where he's working out one day, as he does every single day, it seems, multiple times. He sees a flyer for WCW's power plant who are holding open tryouts for beefcakes. Now, recently before this... Dave hit what he considered to be like an all-time low in his life where he was so short on cash he had to borrow from a co-worker money to cover his kids Christmas presents. He said that was such a turning point for him because he was like what am I doing in my life that I can't even provide a Christmas present for my children. Because he's in his early 30s at this point as well by the way. Like, yeah. You know, so that's kind of you know you would think you are at the You'd want to be at the point where you can be a provider I think. And yeah. Kind of Especially dream, yeah. someone like Dave who yeah, he grew up with a single mum and you know a sister, and I think he was always surrounded by a lot of women. And he, I think, Dave Batista loves women. I would say that's like a core facet of his personality, for good and for bad. He loves women a yeah. lot. Yes. <laughs> and I think, as such, he does. I think he always grew up, even as a child, he had that kind of like, "I'm the man of the house. I have to be a protector to everyone around me." Yeah, because his mom did say, like, you know, she treated him as, and you know, gave him that kind of that moniker, "Hey, yeah. the, the man of the house," and all that. And he did mention when they were kids that they would always have a Christmas. Like, no matter how poor they were, they would, you know, they'd basically starve for several months, cut every corner possible mm. if it meant that, you know, there'd be presents at Christmas time and they could have a nice Christmas. Yeah, he describes how, you know, his school uniform would be, like, just shredded. His shoes would have holes in, like, just all of his stuff was just, like, shit and wrecked. And then, but they could still have, you know, at least something for Christmas. So I do, but this is a very important part for him. I think it's a value he holds dear. So yeah. when he couldn't give that to his kids... And I think it helps maybe the age he was at that he was, as you say, he was turning 30. So I think it, it was like a real eye opener for him. He was like, right, yeah. I've got to I've got to turn my life around. I've got to I've got to be the man I know I can be. And, you know, I don't think Dave was lacking for friends and other folks around him in the gym who'd be like fucking open tryout for wrestlers. <laughs> About time, man. <laughs> yeah, Aren't you one already? And I would say big props to Big Dave for not doing the typical WWE shite of pretending that you were a big fan growing up. The man had never watched wrestling. Really? I was going to ask. There was no, you know, if it was any watching, it was incidental. He wasn't like, oh, I grew up idolizing this person and yeah. this person. That wasn't part of it at all. It was literally, there's the sign. We need big muscle boys. And like WCW was pumping out muscle boys at that time. They're kind of, the power plant, I think my people might hear that and assume it's going to be along the lines of, oh, it's like the performance center. But I think the performance center is very much it's unique it's its own thing yeah in the same way that like the dojo new japan is unique and it's its own thing what it was really in wcw's case was kind of like a feeder system where they would just send in big hunks they would see and it would be you know babes as well in the medusa episode we talked about she spent a lot of her later time in wcw training glamour and fitness models who've been signed by wcw like just teaching the basics how they can bump and all that yeah so there's a lot of people who came in through that system you know chuck palumbo sean o'hare goldberg came in that way Louis Theroux did not successfully come in that way. Ah, uh, yeah. So this is the episode he did about professional wrestling. Yes. He came to the power plant. He did, he? yes. And that's where they hazed him and made him, like, sick and stuff. <laughs> I mean, there's always the catch-all term that's used when to describe training like this and the people are like, I'm old school. Yeah. I'm old school, Janice, sure. which means I'm fucking horrible. Yeah. And the guy who ran this was a dude by the name of Sarge, whose greatest claim to fame was that he played an evil leprechaun in WCW during the dark old days. Oh, jeez. Poor guy. And, and you know, when Batista describes him as like, 
kind of like having like a Napoleon complex. Mm. The man's head barely comes over the top rope, but he is jacked to the fucking nines. He is. He's he's built like scary. Yeah, I mean, he honestly reminds me of like early Scott Steiner in terms of his body shape. He's just cut like, like a foot and a half off of him. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, but you know, he's obviously not become a big star. He's the trainer, but the more you know, he's not there to teach you how to lock up or develop your character or step forward with your left foot. It seems like he's there to like beat any i don't know like hopes and dreams out of you it's like you are going to be a realist <laughs> yeah imagine like if he was Stu hart but he took no pleasure from inflicting any of this pain and misery upon people <laughs> you know he's like a he's like a scott steiner's heel character in wcw mixed with the actual training of Stu hart he would just run guys ragged basically yeah you know? I, I hear he kind of i hear that he destroyed a lot of wrestlers careers just from like beating the love out of them basically so you go into this power plant and your someone's like, I want to be a wrestler. I love wrestling so much. Well, we'll fucking get that out of you ASAP because yeah. there's no marks in this business. Yeah. yeah. Or if you come in like Batista, like I'm a big fucking stud. Like I'm an athlete. I'm I'm, I'm clearly gifted. Mm. Well, we're going to make sure that you don't have an ego on you. Yeah. So Batista is literally yelled at, screamed at. This trial camp consists of him running endless drills, doing squats until he gets sick. This is the crazy thing because like this is Dave Batista who has always worked out for fun. He loves working out like it's what it's it's a hobby it's the way i play video games he goes to the gym <laughs> and yet even still at the power plant they managed to make him work out so much that he was like broken bruised and bloody by the end has anyone ever made you play hitman so much that you start getting sick joe no. has anyone ever made you play hitman so much you start inexplicably bleeding from your nose and Jesus ears christ i like you know the louis through episode where he does this is like it's a great example of what they're doing because you know he, he they want to show off to him and they show off to him by like running extra hard like mm. he he gets sick he fucking falls over and all that and you kind of think oh little little louis through this little bony jabroni where's waldo so-called journalist brother and he can't hang at the power plant but like batista is driven to the point of like he claims he's driven to the point of tears here that's it and i think as well I think on one hand, Louis Theroux was kind of made an example of with regards to the hazing and the verbal berating. Because you're an outsider, yeah. right? Yeah. Then he had to make a big deal out of it. But I think what actually went on behind closed doors, like what happened off television, I think was probably physically far worse. Yeah, because like... Okay, Batista is, by all accounts, any wrestling pro would see him go, fuck yeah, let's let's stick him on the car. Like, even if he can't wrestle, we'll put a mask on him and have him cross his arms and stand yeah. in the rampway, right? And all this guy does is he drills down into him the thing that he's most anxious about. And apparently what Sarge was saying to him the whole time was that you're too old. Yeah. How are you going to make it in this business? You're already fucking 30. You're so fucking old. You're pathetic. You know, breaking him down, like, mentally. And of course, Dave who is 350 pounds of anxiety morphed into the body of a Greek god. Yeah, who's just spent 10 years bumming around at nightclubs. By the way, you should never try anything. Yeah. Don't don't you dare dream or hope. You've, you've missed your opportunity. It's done for you. And I don't want to say that it's very obviously, you know, your man working out all of his fucking shit in his head and what he's anxious about and what he's all pent up about mm -hmm. taking out on someone that he sees a bit of himself in or whatever. Yeah. But like that's what it is. It's this weird... And so much of that hazing in wrestling training is this weird deflection. When you hear about these trainers who are like so tough and so cruel and so mean, who never became stars themselves, mm. I'm like, 
why why do you have to be like that? You hear all these stories of like people who made it and they're mm-hmm. like totally fucking chill and calm. Yeah. So why the fuck do you and nobody get to like fucking scream bloody murder at someone like Batista, who is by all accounts a star in the making? I genuinely believe that in those situations the people in question think they are helping because for some people are motivated by spite. Yeah. Some people absolutely are. If they get told, you know, you're too old, you're too fat, you, you haven't got the look, you're not talented, they will work 10 times as hard to prove that person wrong. But that doesn't work for everyone. It doesn't work at all. It never works. Like, I don't think it never works. I do believe wrestling is an industry full of people who are motivated by spiting others. I know, but... It like, can just... work, but it's just, it shouldn't be the standard template for everyone. Yeah, and I, I just remember, it, when I heard this story, it reminded me of like, you know, when I went to school and you, you had to do rugby training no matter yeah. what. And I like, I sucked at it because I didn't know, I didn't teach us the rules how to play rugby for one. That was a big part of it. Wow. And like, I had the type of trainers who were like, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll fucking scream at them. And like, I got screamed, I got screamed Jesus. at, screamed at you know shouted at hurled abuse at made to run laps you know all this stuff and like at the end of the day like i remember one of them like be like i'm doing this to make to chuffing mm-hmm. you up i'm like i'm dude i'm fucking 12 yeah and like i'm getting sick from anxiety every fucking That's day it. A good I'm, leader... I'm not gonna get turned into a diamond from no. this like a good leader should change their leadership tactics depending on who they're mentoring yeah I don't know. I just, but that's the thing with, with Batista. He has that look to him, and I certainly don't have this problem. But he has a look to him where he intimidates others. Oh yeah, because he's got like through no fault of his own. Real physically, he is so huge and impressive, but also like he does have resting bitch face. He does. He's very intense vibe about. Yeah, him, even though he, he's not actually. He looks like, like he him. would be a prick, especially because he's so well groomed and handsome and everything, and he's got those very sharp features, like those sharp eyebrows and stuff. He looks like. He looks like a model. Yes. He does look like a prick. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's like funny as well that he gets labeled this whole thing where like, you're too old, you can't make it. I actually found the time from when Batista would have been doing this training, which yeah. would have been around the summer of the year 2000 or 2001. And like the world champion in WCW at that point was Diamond Dallas Page, mm. who didn't start wrestling until he was 35. Yeah. And he didn't have nobody like Dave Batista. Nope. I just, I, what a wild fucking, and you know, there could have easily been the end of the story of the wrestling career of, of Dave Batista. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so he's very fortunate in that someone else decides to pass on his information from the gym to the WWE. And they're like, look, this guy has clearly got something. It makes me wonder who did that. I don't know. Someone who was clearly looking for, for looking on the eye, like they had, they had like, scouts everywhere. You oh, know? so you would think it was like an external scout. You don't think Sarge secretly was like telling him on one hand, you're too old, but on the other hand, he was like, this guy's actually got No, potential. because it's the other company, WWE. Oh, you I see. see. So he, he, he tried out for WCW. They said, fuck no. And I'm pretty right. sure they had their scouts at the time who were like full-time looking for, you know, would-be wrestlers or diamonds in the rough. Yeah. Were like, hey, this is one of the guys who got, you know, chucked to the side, but we think there might be something to him. So they sent him down to Pennsylvania to train with Afa from the Wild Samoans, who you may know from being at the table that Roman Reigns claims to be head of. Yes, Afa wrestled with Seeker. The Wild Samoans. Wild Samoans, yeah. They were. I remember we watched a few clips from the Rikishi episode. Oh yeah, they were great. Oh yeah, I mean they're you know the the original like fucking Samoan dynasty starting yeah. in the WWWF. They would have worked for Vince Senior back in the yeah. day. Yeah, that's like old school traditional knowledge that's been passed down like that's pretty special to be able to have access to that yeah so i think i don't think he realized what a leg up he's immediately getting there no this is it he's already getting advantages that other people would not necessarily be provided i will say though oftentimes when you get the kind of advantage and the the shortcut and all that you don't have to spend thousands and thousands of dollars to Mm. actually take that so yeah you are being recommended to this training camp but 
Also, by the way, please move to Pennsylvania. Yeah. And also, by the way, as well, uh, you are going to have to pay between three and six grand. Jesus. Depending on who you heard from these various documentaries and sources. Wow. Well, at least when he arrived, he was treated really well. Apparently, the first thing Affa ever said to him when he turned up was, Son, what took you so long? <laughs> Isn't that lovely? That would be, oh my God, that would be like so validating. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he's one of those people where... It's easy to know, kind of retrospectively now, when you look at all the people that were trained by the Wild Samoans and stuff like that. But like, if you have a trainer who sees something in you immediately, yeah, and you are not so wound up in your head that you allow yourself to be molded, because I think Batista at this point is a big fucking lump of clay. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know? But to get there, it was very, very difficult. So he is with Angie at this point now. So he has split from his his partner, the the mother of his children. He's now together with Angie. And they have to move all the way to Pittsburgh. They haven't got a penny between them. So they have to kind of beg, borrow, scratch and scrape. Mm-hmm. All their friends pitch in so that they can go and kind of start all over again. You As know? a professional wrestler. It's Bless. so interesting because I feel for so many people who get into wrestling, they are told this isn't a career option. This yeah. is You're not going to make it. Like it's The chances are so slim. And yet Big Dave, he's like, aiming for the stars with trying to become a professional wrestler. I know he's got the biggest himbo hashtag of all time he always uses on social media, which is Dream Chaser. But uh, he is literally yeah, like... Yeah, literally. You know, if he was more yeah. smart, I think he would have convinced himself it was never going to happen. Fucking hell. I mean, yeah, it's like... That's a that's a scary prospect. Oh, yeah. You know? It's like... I mean, it's, you'd more like to win the lottery, I feel, than <laughs> have the opportunities he's given. So, yeah, he does around six months in the training camp with AFA. Yeah, so he's like considered to be a natural athlete. You know, like he picks up a lot of the stuff quite quickly. He's then decided that, you know, we're in a period now, late 2001, coming into early 2002. So he's going to get sent to OVW, which is the training camp at that time for the WWE. And the difference between that and a lot of the other kind of little indies or feeder systems is that they had a TV show every single week. And they had pay-per-views and they would send down stars from the main roster. People like Undertaker, Kane, Big Show would come down and do a match here or there. So he gets sent there and he's under the tutelage of everyone's favourite angry uncle in wrestling, James E. Cornette, a.k.a. Angry Jim Cornette. Yep. Who, in our in our wide-ranging research, any time we do an episode on someone, we type in the phrase, shoots on, and then the wrestler we're doing to see if anyone's had anything to say about them. Yep. And Batista, by and large, most people have very, very little to say. Yeah, it's not like... Oh, they only have nice things to say. It's just like, no one really talks about him. He's not that controversial a figure other than one or two people who had scuffles with him or or one or two ladies who had had run-ins with him or whatever it is, had a few bits. But generally speaking, he's not... He's not one of the guys who gets talked about in shoot interviews, yeah. other than wrestling fans asking people in shoot interviews how big Batista's dick is. That's a, a running thing oh. uh, from, from around 10 years ago. Why? Uh, because it's a funny joke. Where did it come from? The, you know, the kayfabe commentaries videos that we've watched, you know, the, the ones that air on the dark side a little bit sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just, you know, that's he's almost a meme in terms of shoot so interviews. Someone just asked how big's his dick? And they ask, no, they ask everyone how big Batista's oh, dick is. Oh, okay. You know? It's one of these things where I have to mention because everyone wants to fucking talk about it because it's yeah. a meme from 10 years ago. So there you go. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you for explaining. I have always wondered why everyone talks about Batista's dick. I have always wondered how big Batista's dick was. Uh, it's massive. Is Is, the... is it? Of course it is. Well, I don't know. Come on. Where's he hide it in those tiny pants? Tucks it, I'm sure. Jesus. Come on. Definitely go. Come on. 
Drax the Destroyer has a small penis. Dave Batista, the character, has a big penis. <laughs> okay. That's what I'm saying. But Jim Cornette didn't have nice things to say about Dave's time in Ohio Valley Wrestling where he was being groomed for a spot on the main roster on national TV. Yeah, Jim at one point refers to Batista as a frail, quiet demon. I think you're being very nice there. It was a fucking frail, fucking pussy-whipped, fucking quiet, fucking demon. Frail. Frail. Quiet. Demon? Okay, so demon is the gimmick that he was given. Because everyone needs a gimmick. And OVW back then had no shortage of wacky gimmicks. He was the Leviathan, the beast of the Ohio Valley River. So he was literally a demon that was summoned by uh, uh, an evil valet who was actually Jim Cornette's wife. And uh, she had a satanic gimmick. And she made this monster arise from the Ohio Valley River, which was... Batista and he came out and he's bald now he's got fangs so he's meant to be he wants him to be this big scary demon an easy gimmick to give someone where you're not gonna have to sell a lot Mm. you are expected to do very little because you'll just smash people pretty much and you won't have to talk as well you just go and you know Cornette's tell the story about like and he's there in the fucking river and he's all fucking pissed off because he's got he thinks he's got fucking leeches on him and he's all oh I'm fucking cold because I'm in the fucking river at six in the morning you know and he's just he doesn't he doesn't like that Dave is not the monster that he appears to be, I think. Frail? He did get injured pretty much immediately. Frail, though. I mean... Injury-prone does injury not mean... Injury-prone. Fra- Come on, you can't look at Dave Batista and say that man is frail. He's had a lot of injuries in his career. But I wouldn't say injury-prone is the same as being frail. frail what, is what's the weak. difference in your mind? Frail is weak. Okay. Dave is not weak. I think for people like Cornette, frail is a synonym for, for saying injury-prone. Wow. I don't know. Words have meaning, Jim Cornette. But that's really funny that someone who is on the, you know, on the record as far as it goes and very much well known as being an actual cook that he refers to someone as being pussy whiffed. Yeah. Just, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, people who throw cooks in their glass house usually. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think Batista, like, you know, he, he had the support of, of Angie. You know, she wanted what was best for him and he would, you know, ask her opinion on stuff like that. And him being injured actually helped him because... Apparently, the fact that he was injured early on, he would sit there and he would just watch in these classes. And I think when Batista was being told, do this, do that, now you're going to do this, this is the thing you need to learn today, he'd get very frazzled. But if he was able to sit in the back, you know, in his hoodie all hunkered down, just with an eye on the, oh, yes, the action. I think yeah. Jim Cornette said that Batista was always cold. Oh! <laughs> Oh God! Do you empathise with Big yeah. Dave? Yeah. Always wrapped up. No wonder he always wears scarves. I mean, I did want to record on these podcasts in a river, but I've been, no. you know, told he'd be too cold, whatever it is. Too noisy. You know? And I'm too frail for it anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, he has a bad time there, basically. Because I think Cornette is in this position where he's in charge of OVW. He's trying to make stars for his TV show, but he knows that anyone who gets to a certain level is going to be scooped up and sent to WWE mm. in the main show there. So there is this kind of like passive aggressive, I'm helping you, but I'm not really helping you because what I ultimately want is my show and my product here to be good. I want the fans in Kentucky to be able to come and see a good show. I don't want to be wasting my time on this guy who's just a big muscle dude who's going to get hired up by WWF and go make millions and millions of dollars. Mm. So I can understand the kind of the origin of the bad feelings or whatever it is. But, like, you know, he claims that he learned nothing while he was there. Or, like, he claims that, you know, he was a very bad student and he didn't pick up anything. I think there was some line Batista had, like, kind of a quick churned out WWE autobiography where he just said, I didn't really learn anything there. 
And I think that's the real source of the animosity between them. Right, yeah. It's the fact that he told him he didn't learn anything. And that's the worst thing you can tell to someone who is your teacher and hates you, is that you didn't learn anything. <laughs> yeah, that is, yeah, harsh, but maybe fair, I don't know. What do you think of the uh, Leviathan gimmick, the look? It's awful. <laughs> I feel like it's almost intentionally bad. I, I have a theory, I can't remember if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, that in wrestling, they give people wrestlers deliberately shitty gimmicks <laughs> so that when it comes to them actually being pushed properly they're not tainted by their earlier iterations of that character right yeah because it's like if you if he was wrestling in ovw as dave batista or as batista you would have this point of reference of like him being not very good mm. and it would be hard then when he went to the main show to kind of like rebrand him. Turn the page or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. I almost feel like they deliberately give them these kind of goofy gimmicks which where you can... The Leviathan character, for instance, he doesn't look anything like him. They completely hide away his good looks and stuff. He's wearing weird contact lenses. And got the, they got the plastic, the plastic fangs teeth in. teeth and yeah, stuff. Yeah, like, the fangs, which, he, which apparently went away quite quickly because he couldn't do a match with the fangs coming out. Yeah. So he's like, oh, he nearly choked oh, the match no. up one of the fangs once. And he wrestles wearing this fucking Home Depot chain yeah, around his neck as well. Chain. So that's like, yeah, I, I get your your theory there but the reality is is that Cornette's been on the record saying no he wanted Dave to be like their version of The Undertaker he gave him a supernatural you know evil demon gimmick and that's how they were going to get him going they, wow. they brought The Undertaker down to work with him he had Kane work with him he worked with the big show he worked with big stars that's again even an OVW where I know that's kind of like the whole point that is again a big opportunity for someone like him yeah it's, it's almost too big I think and I yeah. think Dave like you see him in all these little skits as the Leviathan and I think he is leaning on the fact that he's big and scary and just goes because he you can see you look in the eyes yeah, through them contacts yeah, he's scared not since Roman Reigns have I seen fear behind contacted lenses <laughs> yeah. being poorly disguised so he does get his eventual call up to the main roster and like he's coming from a pretty star-studded cast I don't know if you saw in the documentary some of these names that he was in OVW with it's a fucking who's who of big names yeah OVW seemed to be the monster factory for big men in small pants that's <laughs> what the style was in 2002 yeah. yeah so yeah his classmates when he was in OVW it's John Cena Randy Orton Brock Lesnar Shelton Benjamin it's kind of a who's who yeah of and big men in small pants <laughs> And I would say, arguably, all of them guys probably took to it a bit quicker than Dave did, it would seem. Yeah, I think so. But I think also most of those guys had a lot more opportunities given to them in terms of, like, early support and access. Like, you know, Randy obviously came from a family of wrestlers. Yes. John Cena, again, came from much more of a middle-class background. So he'd have been... If he wanted to become a wrestler at a young age, he'd have been given a bit of help with like the financing of stuff. I think John had much more of an idea of what he was wanting yeah. to do, probably, than Dave did. And yeah, I think when you look at that crop of talent there, it kind of becomes apparent that Dave wasn't necessarily pegged to be a tip-top guy immediately. I think he was like a guy with a look. Mm. But I think when you have the same class with people like Lesnar and Cena and Orton... I think Dave was probably number four on that list. Yeah, at least. You know, I don't think he was, you know, absolutely crowned at the top and he was the anointed one by any stretch of the imagination. No, because it's not like 
he's naturally yes he's naturally athletic but he's not naturally a gifted wrestler in yes. the way that like if you compare him to like Shelton Benjamin the way yeah. he is such a freak a, athlete a freak like. athlete yeah. yeah specifically at wrestling as well yeah and Shelton definitely had the grades to do you know college and high school wrestling mm. let's just say you know so Batista does find his way into the main roster in 2002 when they've split Raw and Smackdown into two separate groups and they had also split the Dudley boys at that point as well. And Steve on Dudley had been given the gimmick of a crooked, evil priest called Reverend Devon, who was always raising money for a building fund that never seemed to go anywhere other than lining his own pockets. That's so funny. It's it is a quite a spicy gimmick for, yeah. for for the times, let's just say. But where's the money going to go? Obviously, in a big box. But what's that big box going to be attached to? A chain. Do we have anyone in OVW who already has a chain attached to them? Get me Dave Batista, <laughs> whose main roster debut is Deacon Batista. Deacon Batista. Yeah. Now, what is a deacon? So a deacon, this is very Protestant mind. So oh, I is could, it? I could be wrong, right? but a deacon, as far as I know... It's like the kind of the helper in the church. Oh. You know, you're like kind of the main, you're, you're, you are a lay person. You're not, you know, ordained or anything like that, but you help out in the church. You'd be doing the admin. You'd be doing like a lot of the kind of the organization and stuff right. like that. You'd be doing community outreach. You'd be, you know, you, you'd be very much involved in the church without actually being a priest, so I to speak. I see. Well, vicar. Vicar in this, or, or reverend in this reverend, case. Reverend, I guess, yeah. I'm not entirely sure what denomination Reverend Devon belongs to, mm. but there'd be none of that in the Catholic Church is all I'm, I'm saying. I'm sure. <laughs> no, they definitely were not allowed to have deacons as far as I know back then. So, <laughs> in the documentary, they kind of bury this. J.R. says it's a, a, a hiccup, creatively speaking, as it were. I think it was like you were saying earlier. I think it was on purpose. Yeah. I don't think they ever looked at this gimmick like, yes, this is the one. This is the final version. This will be the thing that we push to the moon. It's a, I think it's like, it's not hazing, but it's like, it's a test. It is. To see, can you eat shit for a bit? Can you be humbled? Can you do the job that we want you to do for the sake of, you know, almost on purpose, something that you as a wrestler don't want to do? And it's probably a test for themselves as a company as well. It's like, yeah. do, do we want this guy like is yeah. he actually all that because he compare his his colleagues there right Shelton Benjamin debuts as a member of Team Angle and it's pointed out by Kurt Angle as being like a, a, an all-American incredible wrestler like one of the, and just immediately shot to a good position on the card Brock Lesnar debuts with Paul Heyman literally telling us all he is going to be the next big thing the top star in wrestling and he squashes and demolishes everyone John Cena debuts by using the catchphrase that would define that era, ruthless aggression, and attacks Kurt Angle and has a great showing and has shown great respect immediately. Batista has the sleeves cut off an ill-fitting suit and clutches a make-believe charity box for an evil priest. You say ill-fitting suit. <laughs> I actually have a bit of information about that suit. Oh, please. On his first day on the main roster, they told they didn't tell him exactly what his gimmick would be, but they said, look, we need you to show up in a, in a nice suit. So he went out and he got a custom tailored suit. It was like $500. <laughs> you know, he's, he's pretty broke at this time. Yeah, so yeah. it's a lot of money for him. And he shows up in his nice suit feeling all proud and they immediately just rip the sleeves off it. And he's like... <laughs> I just spent all my money on that. And that's why he had to show up to like, you know, graduations, confirmations, uh, weddings, funerals with a sleeveless <laughs> suit. It was a, a bit of a look for him though, you know? It certainly is a type of look, yeah. It's very silly. It's extremely silly. I think the Reverend Devon gimmick is one of my particular favourite 
definitely shit gimmicks that mm. I just thought was very funny just because I think anytime wrestling tries to deal with a topic that they don't realize how big it is and how ill-equipped they are to deal with this yeah and uh, i thought did a decent job of this and like i remember very vividly me and my brother watching a random smackdown and batista was always there and he, he never spoke he never did anything he just stood there clutching that box looking mean looking scary and then i remember one time he finally did something he gave someone a clothesline and then he did that spine buster and we were like Ooh, <laughs> this guy and whatever you could say about his wrestling skills and abilities Batista could do one hell of a clothesline yeah. and one heck of a spine buster. Yeah, he's got big arms. I don't know what the upper limit of this gimmick was, though. Like, where do you go from this? Does he become a priest as well? Does he, <laughs> does he, does he go to, to priest school? What happens, you know? What I loved about this is that Batista, when talking about this period of time, like a lot of wrestlers, I, I, I don't know, my mind immediately went to like Stone Cold, who they look back on these gimmicks don't they're given. Don't get more suck ass yeah. than Deacon Austin. And they're like embarrassed <laughs> by these early gimmicks they had. Batista is not like that at all. He says that is exactly where I needed to be. That is incredible that he had. Like even like it's not like oh look you know I hate it at the time. Looking back, I can appreciate for what it was. But like, he's there at that moment, being like, "Thank fucking God, I'm the quiet lad with the yeah. box because." I need to learn still. Yeah, it still. takes the pressure off. I think it would be way too much for him to be pushed the way that Orton or, or Lesnar was. Like, it yeah. just would have crushed him, I think. the rest, Like, the, suddenly the pressure and everything. Yeah, I think Randy, he did, in his very early days, he struggled a little bit because, you know, they introduced him and he's like, oh, he's the son of a legend and a legend you're probably not that familiar yeah. with. Like, I remember, like, I grew to enjoy Batista a lot quicker in his very early days than I did Orton because I was like, Orton's got this legacy that, means nothing to me i didn't watch bob orton in the 80s so i don't really care about this young kid yeah whereas batista he looked scary and he looked mean so that meant something to me as a fan but like i'm amazed at his patience Mm. given that he's at this point now mid-30s and he has got a time limit on him i would think but he's not Russian. He's he still recognizes he wants to learn and he wants to to grow and all that. Mm. I just kind of think of any of the other people on that list. If you gave them a really kind of goofy gimmick to start off with, they would have fucking railed against it. And you know, what's your point about Stone Cold? You're taught as a wrestling fan that if a wrestler's given a shitty gimmick and they're destined for greatness, they're meant to hate it. Yeah. You're meant to like rail against it. You're meant to like, that's not who I'm meant to be. But he doesn't know who he's meant to be at this point in time. Yeah. No one really knows what he's meant to be at this time, I guess. Yeah, I think so. And I think it probably helped as well that he didn't grow up watching wrestling. Because I think if you grow up watching wrestling and making fun of these silly characters you would be more offended by being given a stupid gimmick like that. Yes. But he doesn't have any of that, like, association, I think. So he's yeah. just, like, happy to get paid. <laughs> so he splits from Devon, like, after a couple of months, and they send him over onto the other brand, Raw, where he gets paired up with Ric Flair, and Ric Flair is going to be his manager, and they play all these hype-up videos, and he's just, he's this guy, Dave Batista, a genetic revolution is coming, they show... You know, my favorite thing in wrestling, which is footage of a guy working out in the gym with strobe lighting and him going, Bleh! which is very funny with Dave being like, yeah, this is my, you know, my therapy, my place where I go to come at peace. And he's yeah. there lifting weights, going, Bleh! <laughs> screaming <laughs> at the top of his lungs. But it's no coincidence that he gets this kind of little mini push here and this kind of reframing and repackaging and getting paired up with Ric Flair because he gets a new workout buddy around this time. It's your old friend, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Ah. Triple H thinks, yeah, this guy's pretty big. You're a young guy like me, Dave, you know, getting kind of jacked. <laughs> and this is where a lot of people early on really fell out with the kind of the concept of Batista mm. because he was 
kind of handpicked by Triple H as a guy that he wanted to have in his circle. It is like literally like mean girls like they look over <laughs> at that new hot girl in school and like yeah she's gonna be part of our gang that's triple h <laughs> on wednesdays we wear oversized suits with giant lapels <laughs> and all the buttons are undone we wear sunglasses indoors as well that's what we do on wednesdays i think batista probably recognized how good he had gotten it and how lucky he was mm. because even if you don't like them as wrestlers and even if you don't like what triple h thinks is you know the the great vision for wrestling you can't argue that in wwe at this point in time there was literally no one better to hitch your wagon to oh yeah if you want protection yeah <laughs> it's like it's prison like. It, it kind of is like <laughs> genuinely like i know hang on i'm gonna gonna tattoo the evolution logo on your ass dave <laughs> But, like, it's true. Like, he is Vince's son-in-law at this time. Yeah. And he's already got, like... Or a, just about to or be. Or just about yeah. to be. But, like, yeah, he's he has a lot of influence in the company. And he's got that successful career already behind him. Yeah, Rock is leaving. Austin is leaving. Yeah. You know, they split the brands. So, Triple H... This is the Reign of Terror era of Triple H. Yeah, this is where he's buddies with Shawn Michaels. And Kevin Nash is all over there. And, yeah, a lot of power, a lot of influence. And... Yeah, you could do a lot worse than being in the click. I mean, it is kind of a click, isn't it? It, it definitely is. Although the click didn't really take young up and comers who were complete lumps of clay to mould. No, this is a different click. This is a, an era of Triple H where I felt that he wanted to be a mentor, mm. but I would wonder to what extent is it he wanted to be a mentor so he could help the next generation, or if he wanted to mentor so he could help make some stars almost in his image that he could then work with team with whatever it is yeah i think there's a lot of people who will always like you see from our tweets always if you talk about this era of triple h or anyone affiliated with it they get a bad taste in their mouth yeah you know and a lot of those cornet shoots that we saw his main gripe with batista was like oh once he fucking started working out with triple h <clears throat> he, he got all fucking everything handed to him i'm mm. I can see that, but I also don't blame Batista for that. Absolutely not. Blame the industry that it works that way. I mean, it shouldn't. Yeah. It sucks that it does, but it, that is how it worked. So they decide that they're going to do a new super group. And this group is going to be like nothing they've ever seen before. Because Triple H is now with Ric Flair. Triple H is the present. Ric Flair is the past. They've got Randy Orton pegged as being like the future. And they wanted to have an extra guy in as like muscle. I don't get that. The past, the present, the future and muscle. That's... They're That's how time works. Three professional athletes. Let's be real as well. Triple H is fucking massive at this stage. <laughs> Why do they need more muscle on top of... That's just... I guess in shoot, I am confused why Triple H would want... Why, like, why would he not see himself as the muscle? Is it because he was really branding himself as a cerebral assassin yes, at the time? Yes, and also muscle usually means henchman. Right, okay. So he considers himself too smart. To yes, so even though he could do it, he just want to get his hands dirty. Right, so you got the, okay. you got the big, thick wedge at the back here. It just does seem kind of like shoehorned in, this muscle I, I get you, because I do remember distinctly when they first grabbed all the group together, and he's like, I'm Triple H, I'm on top of this business. Ric Flair, the greatest wrestler of all time, the icon, the legend, 16-time world champion. Randy Orton, bred for greatness. It is in his DNA. And Batista, <laughs> sometimes you just got to get the biggest gun and pull the trigger. And I'm like, you know, as someone who was at that time very interested in studying evolution, I was like, that doesn't fit in here. It doesn't, does it? You know? I feel like as well, they could have 
leaned into the fact that he was a bouncer for 10 years and like, you know, a really rough part of the country where, you know, he would have had to have like, we didn't actually mention it, but he he got arrested for knocking a couple of guys unconscious while he was a bouncer. Really? Yeah, he was on probation for a year Whoa. because of it. So like, that he does have that legitimate badass background. And he looks like a badass as well. But then I heard that the original idea for the muscle of the group was some other guy. Yeah, and that's kind of what's so interesting about this this evolution business is that I don't think there's ever been like a set in stone, we're going to do this, this is the plan, we're ready to run with it 100%. But also, it could be this guy or it could be this guy. Because we saw, and you were laughing your head off, all the, the footage of you know the evolution B-roll. Love it. Of all of them, like, hanging around in helicopters. Celebrity lifestyle going on red carpets. Like, Rick got women under both arms. It's yeah, like... hit, hitting up all of the cabaret clubs and uh, in, in, in Camarucho all together <laughs> as a big group. But yeah, you can actually find uh, Mark Jindrak... They shot all that footage with him as well. They so he's the original muscle. He would have been the, the, the muscle, they thought, perhaps. Right. But I think the fact that he was too... I think what worked against him is that Mark Jindrak was too pretty. He was the kind of like... Really? Yeah, Prettier he, than Batista? Pretty in the way that Randy Orton is pretty. Oh. That he was kind of long and more slender. He was a big dude, right. but Batista was enough. more of like a mean muscle fucking right. monster. Whereas yeah. Jindrak... You know, he was meant to be more of the kind of the glamorous muscle type of a dude. Okay. So I think maybe that's why. There was even talk that Maven might be thrown in the group at one point as well. <laughs> that's you know? so funny. But again, he's not. It's too nice. And he's not the muscle. He's muscly, but he's not Batista. Folks, I want to tell you about the time I was in Evolution. Except I wasn't in Evolution. Click subscribe to find out more. <laughs> I just want to do my... It's like Kentucky Obama. Yeah. That's all you have to do for, for, for a Maven there. So yeah, um, something they didn't mention in any of the documentaries. And more to the point about being injury prone... They debut Evolution, here's the group, past, present, future, muscle. He immediately gets injured. He tears his triceps. Mm. And he's out for like four or five months. The big man injury. Yeah, and that's uh, <laughs> that's kind of bad because you then have a period when Evolution is starting to kind of gain momentum at the start where he's not there. And it is past, <laughs> present, future, no muscle. Yeah, it's not great that their muscle is injured. I know, he... You'd think they'd kind of like just drop the idea at that point and be like, look, let's just leave it with evolution and not have a muscle. I will say, I, and I know it is entirely for the reasons I suggested earlier, where it's like, I, I'm doing this because I want to have friends, I want to have people who are in a position that I can work with and all that. But it does say a lot that they did still go with him. Mm-hmm. And I think it is Triple H, he had an eye for something or had an idea for him down I am the line. fascinated by what motivated triple h here because like I, most people would say fuck it, he got injured sorry it makes yeah. more sense it does make more sense without him than it does with him that's it. And i know triple h as a real life person he is calculating he is a strategist and yet it does seem yeah i just would love to know what motivated him to like stick by batista because on my cynical side of my brain is like, yeah, it must be because Batista is nice and easily moldable. And I think Triple H always did surround himself. I think it's part Ag- of what he's... Agreeable people. Well, not just agreeable, but like people he could manipulate. I think that's part of the reason why he got on so well with Sean. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because he could control him. Yeah, very and much And I think so. that is partly why he liked Batista so much. But I do think there's more to it than that. Because if there's lots of people in the wrestling who you can control. Yeah, I think you know what it is. And this, this came up a few times in interviews with Dave where... He's told, oh, you're going to be an evolution. And he's like, you know, I didn't actually believe it. Mm. You know, Smart. He was, really. Yeah, because <laughs> I think he knew that other people had been promised it. So he's like, okay, yeah, sure. And I think there is an uncommon degree of level-headedness about Dave. Yeah. Like he is, for a wrestler and for the wrestler who was getting the opportunities that he was, 
add in as well the time factor like hey by the way if you don't make it in like the next two years you're probably gonna have to do something else Mm. so i think the fact that he has all that pressure on him and he is an anxious guy but he is still level-headed yeah i think that's something that he never seems to lose he seems like the more famous he got the more level-headed he seemed to become. Yeah. Like, you know how The Rock, like, the more famous he became, like, Dwayne Johnson is such a fucking weird dude now. He's, like, barely yeah. human. He's so fucking weird and alien. Same with John Cena. Yeah, these get weirder and weirder. Whereas, like, Batista seems more and more grounded with every zero that comes after his net worth. I'm not sure what that's all about. What I think happens is that when you get either very, very rich or very, very famous, it, like, stunts your growth. I think you kind of, like, stop developing as much. Um... It's kind of like arrested development. Yeah. And I think it just, it stops your progression, but also accelerates the direction in which you were already heading. Mm -hmm. So I think if you're a weirdo and then you get really famous, you're going to become a massive weirdo. But I think because, (laughs) because Dave was normal. I like this theory a lot. This explains a lot of wrestlers. Yeah, because like a lot of wrestlers were always weirdos. And I think there's a big thing with Triple H as well, where, you know, if you're going to throw the, the, the moniker of frail or injury prone anywhere, I mean, he's had plenty of big injuries in his career. And he was interviewed in one of these docs and he talked a great length about like, hey, when you get injured, you just gotta, gotta move on. You know, you can be depressed for one day. Day yeah. two, it's the first day of the recovery. Get on it. I think the fact that Batista is hit with like, you know, he's got him easily injured in OVW as well. Mm. He got injured when he went, went onto the main roster for his big push. And I think maybe not fucking freaking out and not shitting the bed when that happens. Yeah. That probably shows a demeanor that they probably want to have towards that, towards the top of the card or yeah. in that group, whatever it is. So he does come back, and when he comes back, his first match that he claims was really, really big to him, and it was one that we decided to go and cover for for the episode because it did feel like a part of the evolution of Dave, for pardon the, the pun or whatever, but he took on Shawn Michaels at Armageddon in 2003, and Dave is as green as goose shit here, as they say. He is extremely not the finished product, and Shawn Michaels is, you know, at the top of his game, so to speak. He's a year into his comeback or whatever. So I think if you are going to be able to see anything out of someone, it's it's here in this encounter. Sean and Dave, not a bad matchup, I think, for a first match. No, not at all. And also, again, what a lucky duck he was to get to fight Sean Michaels within how long of him debuting officially? This thing is so weird about Dave is like, I think I saw someone that, in one of the tweets where someone took his entire career once he removed all the injuries. It was only like two and a half yeah. year, three I'm years. I'm not surprised. But he would have been on the main roster for a, a, around a year at this point. Yeah. A year and a half, maybe. But take away injury time, he's been on the roster for probably like, I'd say 10, 10 months or thereabouts. Yeah. Because it's interesting because like, Yes, he wasn't pushed in the way that Brock Lesnar or John Cena or Randy Orton was. He, he wasn't being shown at this point to be the guy. No. But he is being pushed in terms of... it's. I think it's like they saw that he, he was a quick learner. That's what yes. lots of wrestlers have said about Dave, is that he's a fantastically fast learner. And being surrounded by Rick and Randy and Triple H really like helped him progress really fast. So For I sure. think this was them being like, right, he's a quick learner. Let's pair him with Sean, who is obviously can bring a match out of anyone. And, and he will absolutely mentor someone as well i think it's interesting when you hear how they talk about him on commentary it's like they're in that weird place you know like you're you're alluding to there where they know he's got something but they know he's not quite there yet so they're not giving you all the superlatives they're not pushing him to the audience but they are pushing him to be a better version of himself as jr says dave batista is a very special physical specimen which i think is as close as you can come to putting him over without actually complimenting him in any (laughs) real way 
They fucking hell. The video package for this one, though, they... <laughs> a bit where he squeezed Shawn Michaels so hard that blood came out of his mouth. That's so cool. But, like, I think Shawn took, like, two or three of these blood capsules. So he gets a hug. He's like... <laughs> it's fucking grotesque. Joe, I will tell you one thing uh, about your journey with Batista. Mm-hmm. You're clearly a connoisseur because you preferred his original theme music to the more well-known I Walk Alone lyrics version oh, of his theme. I'm going to get hate for that. I know, I think you're right, Anna. Really? There's a 15-year-old Kevin who would listen to this theme song on repeat on WrestleMania 19 on the uh, Day of Reckoning on the GameCube going alone in a room that would agree with you, mm. even though I do prefer I Walk Alone really? because it's got cool lyrics. What you know? lyrics? I'm sick of all these people talking out their heads. I never understood a damn word that they said. I guess I'll have to chew them up and spit them out. I've been doing the squatting. Yeah. Lots of fireworks. Yeah. Loads of fireworks. I think when we were doing the artwork with Dan, my only note was like. Yeah. Lots of sounds. That was it, really. That's all I really wanted to come, to come across. <laughs> Did a very, very good job. I love the set design for Armageddon. They've oh, got yeah. a massive flaming letter A. Oh, man. The days when there were sets. So they were proper sets, yeah. Beautiful stuff. But the audio mixing for this is absolute dog shite. Yeah, the network. And we're in this weird zone at the moment now where in the UK we don't really know what is the face of the WWE network and what it'll take going forward. But I sure as shit hope that we will fix some of these audio mixing problems, he says, mm. 10 years into the network. Because this is like Adam Biblo had went into the audio settings and fiddled around with it because the audio in the ring was really high. Mm. The audio of the audience and the announcers was really low. So you heard all the... There was a lot... This was like the grunt version of it, yeah. basically. Immersive grunt experience in Armageddon 2003. But yeah, I could hardly hear the commentary at all. <laughs> The nerves on Batista. Yeah. Like, it's so easy to pass for a badass when you are big and nervous. But, like, you can see the eyes are kind of darting around a little bit. And Rick's his manager. And I just got an absolute kick out of the fact that Rick kept going over to him and whispering him. And it worked, obviously, as a heel manager thing. But he is literally saying, like, you know, slow down, Dave. You know, oh, yeah. He is actually on the fly coaching him mm-hmm. and teaching him on the job which I think is very sweet it is very sweet another very sweet moment between Rick and Batista is at one point Rick goes over and gives Dave a, like, a hug and a kiss <laughs> it's like he's his dad it's so cute he's very protective of him Rick yeah you know and that's kind of something that happens in kayfabe throughout the story is that Rick like sees something very special in Dave which makes sense because he was his manager originally and all that but Rick seems to be working harder than Batista is in this match. He is sweating profusely on the outside. That's the Rick way. It absolutely is. The tattoos on Batista here, he obviously covered himself several times over mm. to the point where his tattoos now are almost a confusing mess because they're yeah. all overlapped and he's went over and over. But back in this very pure... Oh, I love it. Because you could focus on the belly button tattoo. Yeah. Is that your favourite one? I do love the belly button tattoo. It's so... Like... It was so on trend for girls to have that tattoo in like 2003. It was very much the tramp stamp of the abdomen. I remember <laughs> in Argos, you could buy these temporary tattoos. Or like, I think even in Claire's accessories, you could buy that exact temporary and it, tattoo. It's like the outline of a burning sun, right? Yeah. Cool. It's just great to see a muscle man with that tattoo. Does he have the 
one on his back at this point. He has the start of it, yes. Because I love that. He's got a big dragon. I know. It's it's. <laughs> It looks like something just out of Yakuza. Literally. You know, I, I'm sure there's certain places he could have went at a certain period of time before the Great Dissolution yeah. where he might have gotten in trouble for having that tattoo. But yeah, he's spoken about the tattoo work over the years. And the one on the back, he said he's had at least 50 hours on it. Mm. And it's really difficult because he would go and he'd wrestle, then he'd go and he'd do a couple of hours on the back, and then he'd go and he'd wrestle again. The back was always sore because... It was freshly tattooed. Yeah, and he had to get it revised a bunch of times as well because there was so much time between the appointments. Yes, he had to redo it and all that. But yeah, it's, 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 it's been like tattooed like five times now. His dragon. Fucking hell. Yeah. I mean, hey, if it works for you, man, but certainly put me off the idea of tattoos. Hearing him talk about them because mm. it was one that he put on that was back to front, and oh, the guy's yeah. like, "Oh, yeah, don't worry about it." And he tattooed over it all in white pigment, yeah. and then just did it again. That's- awful which apparently white pigment is like the worst one to get for whatever reason because you have to go over really really hard good lord almighty but yeah he is very much in his embryonic phase here i would say Mm. his stuff that he can do he does very well that big clothesline spine buster yeah this this match is booked fantastically so a lot of thought has went into it a lot of really careful thought has gone into this yeah because I mean, Sean is the perfect opponent for Batista at this point in his yeah. career because he he can't do a lot. He's not a great wrestler at this point. And Sean is such... He's so good. He he really can carry a match, but he's also so good at throwing himself around. That's it. Batista does such basic stuff in this match, but it's Sean's selling of everything. Yeah. The fact that when he's thrown into the corner, he'll do the flip over. Or the fact that when... You know, Batista just does a lot of clubbing blows to the back, but Sean winces and screams in agony that is back and like then it makes the whole story about the match suddenly be oh Batista's targeting this back and he's making it you know like a shark that smells blood in the water and the reality is he's not a shark that smells blood in the water he's a fucking deer in the headlights here but Sean's in the car going beep beep it's over here it's okay it's all right you know he is really doing an absolute service for him here I do believe in this match you could remove Batista and it would still be kind of the same. Sean is kind of wrestling himself. Sean versus a very physical specimen of a ghost. Yeah. Yeah, he gives him so much in this match. I'd say this match is like 95% Dave offense. Yes. You know, his few moments where he has to sell, that's when you can really see the kind of, the, 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 the lack of time in the ring or the lack of actual, you know, opponents where he has to do back and forth, whatever it is. Dave has this thing where when he's hit, he just kind of like shakes his head like he's in an ad for an aspirin or something like that. Like, oh, a little little headache. Mm. Just a small little one. But, you know, Sean gets him there, you know. They do a fabulous bit where Sean goes to give him the sweet chin music and just as he's about to do it, he gets him in that big spine buster. He goes back so far, they almost fall over and he slams him right forward. It's absolutely a thing of beauty. He goes to that big power bomb, that beautiful Batista bomb, but they do this beautiful kind of banana peel, like the momentum. Dave is so powerful. As he's picking you up, he kind of throws him over his shoulders. And Sean just gets the sweet chin music and the picture perfect. Like we both, we both were just like, oh, oh, just chef's kiss. That Sean kicks him, falls over in this like heap of exhaustion and pain, but manages to pin him and just get him. And the one, two, three comes and like Dave... Sounds like he didn't realise what had even happened. Like he gets well, yeah, up, it is. he's it's blink, a no. Blink and you miss it. Like it's, it's incredible. It's so well done. Sean is such a good wrestler. Like on paper, this is one of these things where you're like, 
all right like you yeah. want to try that but like literally one tiny thing goes wrong you're both gonna look awful and i do think Shawn michaels is perhaps the only person who could ever pull something like this off i know it's and it's it's so funny because it's like you would think why don't you do this in every match it's like they say yeah. stuff like this for the very special moments and this is one of these matches that you could just watch it and be like oh, okay yep fine little encounter there but when you realize this was actually a very very carefully mm. planned you know this is this would remind you of the new nxt this was very meticulously right we're, we're doing we know what you can do we're going to work around that yeah i thought this was very interesting match to watch not necessarily for the quality but just for the, the kind of the construction of it or how they yeah. how they got dave over in a big way without him actually winning <laughs> that was my takeaway the, the match itself if you didn't have any context and didn't know anything about this i think it would be fine it's not like a bad match or anything it's not very noticeable that Sean is carrying Dave. But I gave it four out of five stars. Really? Because for me, what I enjoyed about this was seeing this is like, like almost like a case study of how, <laughs> yeah, how to put someone over. Like. Yeah, how to put someone over, how to carry someone into a good match, how to like really emphasize the, the positives and just like detract from the negatives, I think. Yeah, because I think we've seen in the years since this would have happened it happens all the time where there's like kind of big guys who they try to get over and they want to be very careful in the booking and it's like you have to be careful you have to be careful all the time that's it it's not just the the booking of the storylines and the feuds it's the actual matches themselves as well have to be so carefully done i feel like you almost wouldn't get a match like this these days because it'd be overproduced it does it it, it does feel like there almost be a fear of doing something like this because yeah. like the, the whole the post matches is, is so incredible as well it's like yes he lost the match but he lost the match because he was almost too strong for his own good mm. he's kind of sean sells it when he's leaving he has to like literally crawl away he's like he's been in this fucking war with this guy and God, the only the only thing the only reason why Sean won this match you're led to believe from the announcers is that Dave is just kind of getting started, yeah. Which makes you immediately think what's going to happen in a couple of years with this guy when he learns more. And then they go into the next match, which is meant to be like Maven versus Matt Hardy, and both of them come out and they're too scared to get in the ring because Dave is still there, pissed off. So they kind of wrestle on the outside <laughs> like have a little match out there, and then like Matt throws Maven in. Like the worst thing you could do is throw someone to this angry animal batista afterwards so yeah they gave him so much everything but a win here yeah which but, is yeah. i think a, a good the right choice i don't think he should have won at this point he wasn't ready this was the point where the inevitable comparisons to wardlow in AEW, and that's a story that we've followed because you know, we review all the AEW pay-per-views over on our patreon page and often mjf were like this is when he was watching this is when mjf was yeah. like fucking 12 or 13 mm-hmm. this is his period and I know, I absolutely know that he wanted Wardlow to be his Batista, mm-hmm. you know, and where that worked and where that didn't work, it's very interesting to compare and contrast, you know, they're obviously their own guys and all that, but Wardlow, I don't think was handled as carefully every single moment as Batista seems to have been. Yeah, definitely. You know, so much thought went in there. Four out of five, not bad, Dave. Yeah. So Dave finds himself, you know, with Evolution when they're on top as a group. They win all the gold at one point. He's actually tie team champions with Ric Flair later on that night, which he claims Whoa. is one of his favorite moments in his career, getting to, to win the belt with Rick. And the idea was originally that the group was just going to be about Randy Orton and that he was going to be the guy that breaks away from the group. And they do quite quickly in 2004, they break Randy out of that group and he turns and he wins the world title. It's a story for the Randy Orton episode, basically. 
But then Revolution essentially, they kick Randy out because he gets too big too quickly and Triple H wants things at a certain level and Randy's the future, not not now. So when he wins the belt, that's it, he's done. And Batista and Rick and Triple H beat the shit out of him they kick him out of the group. And then the plans kind of pivot to maybe Dave is going to be the big breakout wrestler of this faction. And we watched, someone had uploaded all of the segments, the entire kind of downfall and split as Dave starts to realize that he's kind of a big deal and these guys in evolution are taking advantage of him Mm -hmm. and Triple H, his slow descent into paranoia and worry that this young stud that he's been grooming is about to eat his lunch. (laughs) This was so much fun to watch. So good. This is, in my mind, peak Triple H. Was this the most fun you've ever had watching Triple H stuff? easily. And it was great because... (laughs) It took all the stuff that I hate about Triple H in real life and turned it into a heel character. Yes. So you're supposed to hate him for all the stuff that he's doing. Like, he he is a horrible, cowardly, manipulative piece of shit who uses others, just like in real life. Yeah. But here he is doing it as an evil villain and you're supposed to boo him. It's great. I think with Batista, what is so interesting in terms of him performing, like, you know, all the time he's being like scary and rah, you know this big mean bastard and that's not really who he is in real life so that's a degree of the performance but in this whole turn that he has he's meant to be this kind of cool soft-spoken supremely confident guy who knows just how to passive aggressively dial up the tension on triple h and make him feel small but that's not how he originally started in the no. group though because i what i loved about his character's progression is that in the first like year or so of him being part of evolution he just like obeys triple h and whatever triple h says he's like yeah yeah you're right yeah yeah no you're or he doesn't right. even like, say yeah he just you know, yeah like no it's like, yeah. like yeah he just is like you know if triple h says like you're not good enough for this he's just like right fair enough yeah and i love that he's kind of like this himbo very humble himbo yeah just like he is in real life and then as he gets more experience as he gets more of a crowd reaction, as he sees more of the real Triple H, he kind of starts to realise, wait, hang on a second. Maybe I don't need them. Maybe they need me. I think it's so obvious in wrestling to have, hey, there's a faction, there's a guy here, the fans like him, and then he turns, yay, and he beats mm. up the bad guy. They take their time they really with this. do, yeah. And watching all those segments back to back to back and seeing such a natural turn, because not if the fans are suddenly like, hey, we love Batista, woo, like... He is still a baddie, Mm. you know, but it's the fact that he starts to gain a little bit more agency and it's through Triple H's fear of him maybe turning on him. Not that he actually is gonna. That's what I'm saying. It makes it feel like it's the fan's idea that Dave becomes a good guy, not that it's been shoved down your throat. Because I think very much at first, Triple H looks at Batista like, like someone he can control. But then as the story progresses you see triple h almost rubbing off on batista batista kind of learns a few of triple h's kind of tactics in terms of manipulating other people and standing up for himself and stuff and you start to see all the little like passive aggressive comments that triple h uses against batista you hey start... stop thinking so much yeah hey come on you know you start to see batista kind of spin it around and use those same tactics on triple h it's really really well done it's great because triple h then is like Wait, is he actually cleverer than I thought he was? No, no, no. I'm Triple H. I'm smarter than everyone. 
But I do get a feeling like he is trying to manipulate me. But no, 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 it must be nothing. And Rick as well, in the middle of it, as you watch this old man's heart break over and over again, because he, Triple H, is he, he loves Triple H. He idolizes mm. him. He owes everything to him and all that. But Batista is the future, and he kind of, he does believe in him as well. Yeah. And you have these moments where Rick is kind of through gritted teeth being like, Dave, you're not meant to be the man now. Wait till Triple H is done. <laughs> then you can be the man. And it's like, he's... The same age as them, yeah. man. Like, it's kind of <laughs> crazy that you're saying that. I think, yeah, just seeing fans kind of not jump to a conclusion. I don't know if this is like a bygone era thing, because this is 20 years old now, nearly, yeah. right? And I feel like so many times in wrestling, when a heel turn comes, or a face turn, or a faction breaks down, we're there 100 miles ahead of you. Yeah. Like when Wardlow broke away from MJF, like literally the first time I saw Wardlow, I'm like, oh, he'll be breaking away from him someday. Yeah. Like you see it coming so far in advance. They, they can't tease you. They can't finesse it because everyone is chanting for the thing to happen. I think we're in the era of instant gratification with wrestling. And I feel like you're not going to get in this day and age someone taking a year to tell a story like yeah. this. You know, because... You know, like, you can compare it to Roman or whatever it is, but like honestly, like they do these bits and then they keep going on with the main story. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it feels like this was a grand plan that took place over several months, and you have things like them screwing up and losing a Survivor Series match, and you know they start blaming each other, but Batista won't blame Triple H really because he's the leader. Then you have them doing like an elimination chamber. And Triple H is all big enough, being like, "Yo, we're gonna, we're gonna do it together. I'll watch your back, you watch mine." And you see, actually, Triple H saw a moment that Batista was gonna lose. He's like, oh, "I'm just gonna hang down here for a moment." And, <laughs> or you know, they have a Royal Rumble match, and it's like Triple H's like, "No, you shouldn't be in that. Let's focus on my match instead." And then Dave's like, "Yeah, but if I win, just think about that. We're hedging our bets because then Evolution, which is the most important thing, right, will will still be on That's top." That's it. And he starts to use the the language that Triple yes. H uses to manipulate him. He starts to like. It's great. It's great. It's like seeing. I got very much the vibe of like Rick and Triple H are almost like a abusive parents. One is obviously worse than the other, yes. but like the inaction of Rick is almost as bad as yes, the yeah, yeah. manipulative of Triple H. And then when you see Batista start to learn from Triple H all these horrible little tactics, it is almost like I don't know, like watching a child grow out of like from under their parents toxicity yes it's just seeing someone be free yeah. you know and that's it it's like it felt like when the fans got to to relish that it felt like they were like you know doing it right alongside him and you you were all in on this little joke like you and batista all knew what he was going to do to triple h and mm. the last person who realized it was triple h he wins the royal rumble that year and not not without controversy that's the royal rumble where him and john cena accidentally went over the top rope at the same time not planned and caused now disgraced chairman vince mcmahon to run into the ring and bust both of his quads because he had to do it on the spur of the moment that makes batista the best wrestler on earth because it means he's the person on earth who's done the most physical harm to vince mcmahon and for that he deserves <laughs> A Nobel Peace Prize, perhaps. Yeah, I think there's a there's, there's a notoriety that he deserves for that for yeah. sure. Because he said that like, he used to have nightmares about this. He wake yeah. up in the middle of the night thinking about the Royal Rumble finish that they screwed up. It you is know, really bad. Like, it is bad. It's it is so, so funny, fucking though. hilarious. Though retrospectively, it's like yeah, it's not a bad thing that you did there. Yeah, Dave, no, it's iconic you know? that he did it. But I cannot imagine, especially 
as he struggles with anxiety performance anxiety specifically like social performance anxiety yeah. in front of a crowd in front of lots of people hell of a business to get into for him fucking hell no so yeah he punches his ticket to wrestlemania and they do this like great little kind of attempt at a fake out because it's there's two brands there's raw and smackdown triple h is the champion on raw jbl is the champion on smackdown so they try and you know triple h tries to like manipulate dave into you want to go to smackdown because we'll we'll run this business together but really he just doesn't want him to yeah. compete with him on raw and when he's not kind of taking the bait like he wants to he starts doing things like you know having jbl videos get played during raw and he has like a a limo with the bullhorns trying to run him over. All this stuff to try and make him think that JBL is trying to kill him and all that. When the reality is, it's just Triple H going and spending, like, not since Nathan Fielder is someone trying to construct a <laughs> fake reality quite like Triple H does in this feud. The fabulous catharsis when they're in the ring together and he has to make his decision about who he's going to go with. And he decides he's going to go for Triple H after all. But it's it's with the thumb going down. I love the good zoom in wrestling. Yeah. And the big zoom on Triple H and Ric Flair's big, stupid fucking heads <laughs> when they realize Dave's coming for them is just Whoa. priceless. It's so great. Now, we have covered that match, his match at WrestleMania against Triple H. We covered that. We did WrestleMania 21 for, for pay-per-view Classic. And it's kind of an important event because both Dave and John Cena get crowned as champion on that night, kind of the two figureheads of that era moving forward. I will say, and I think... You didn't give that match a great rating at the time. I don't think it is their best outing. Only found out from this documentary, he was all fucked up going into that match. Yeah, he was. That back of his was giving him all... He had like ruptured discs in his vertebrae. He had uh, two L4 and L5. He was messed up really bad. Yeah, and it affected his leg. He was completely numb in his left leg, which... As a wrestler, I cannot imagine how frightening, especially as well, a wrestler picking up the fucking yeah, you know, someone who's not been wrestling as long as most wrestlers would have been. You haven't got that extra decade of muscle memory to rely on. It's hard. I think that is like a testament to his determination, I guess. Whatever that he got through that match, because like we're watching the footage back of that match, and you see him. I always thought he was selling the fact that he's on kind of one leg or whatever, mm. but. Like when he stands up to win the belt, he can barely he can't stand because the adrenaline leaves him, and he all of a sudden his leg doesn't work at all. Yeah. Now Batista, not to keep going on about the dramatic personal life here, but he has a big plan at WrestleMania. Yes, which I think most of us who've proposed think this is something of a nightmare scenario. It's so weird because of who he is and what he's like. You'd think this would be his worst nightmare. Like, you'd think if someone suggested doing this to him, he'd be like, oh God, please don't. But yeah, basically, he married his girlfriend Angie at some point, but it was very, like, kind of untraditional. He didn't get down on one knee and officially propose. They were literally just like, hey, let's do it now. Let's get married now. And they went off and they got married immediately. The only photo they have from their actual wedding day is... her passport photo. Yeah, because she... It was her driving license. She wanted to get a new driving license done at the same time when they were in the municipal building. Well, she wanted her driver's license to say Batista on, which I think is really funny. But yeah, they didn't like... It wasn't like a proper wedding by any means. So he used the opportunity of him winning the title to propose to his wife, basically, and give her a proper proposal, a more traditional one, in public? Yeah, but he literally comes backstage, he gets the, yay, big ovation, good job on the main event. Yeah. You were worried because from where the shots were taken and where there was barricades and ropes hanging out backstage, you thought he did it in the ring. I did. Like John Cena. Yeah. Nikki, would you do me the honour of 
signing and notarizing this series of documentation. <laughs> Total divas over on our Patreon page. But yeah, he uh, proposes to her right afterwards. The pictures are great because he's literally wearing his wrestling gear. Yeah. He's proposing with the championship. He's got his little pants on. He's got he's got down on one knee that he can't feel anything oh. in, by the way. And she says it's like, it's so sweet because he took the night that was most meant to be about him mm. and he made it about her. Yeah. Which is very sweet. It is very sweet. But the thing is, is that there are many, there are many days that come after that. That's it. And this kind of actually is the start of the end for them in a really sad way. Yeah. There's many times I think we've had on this podcast where it's like, all right, champ, here you go. You got the world title. Going to strap the rocket onto you. And, you know, shit gets hard. Yeah. You know, I mean, we just mentioned Total Divas there, but, you know, where we're at in our Total Divas watch-along, Daniel Bryan, as he was known then, has just won the world title. And his life with Brie fucking sucks now. Yeah, and that's, you know, Brie, professional wrestler. She knows exactly how hard it is to be a and superstar. She's finding it really yeah. fucking hard. She really struggles. He's home for, like, seven hours a week type of a thing. So, yeah, once that machine is behind you yeah. and you're the figurehead, you are not going to see home at all really and Angie said that I mean you say seven hours a week Angie said that she saw Batista maybe seven hours a month so yeah they're doing the kind of in 0405 there was kind of and this often happens when WWE is in kind of a more of a valley than a peak mm. because this was obviously post Attitude Era before the kind of the time we're in now you know they, they were in definitely money wise more of a valley than they were in a peak and when they do that they tend to reach out around the world a lot more, do more world tours, etc. So it's not just, hey, you're the champ, good job, you get to, you know, do a Roman Reigns schedule or a Brock Lesnar schedule or anything like that. No, back in those days, it's like, all right, you're the champ, so on the plane you go, you're going to go on European tour, you're going to go to South Africa, you're going to go to Malaysia, you're going to go all over the fucking world. Mm. Like, they were in, like, Japan as well. Like, they were really, like, you know, like they did during Brett's time. Yeah. You know, where it's like, okay... Not as hot in America. Let's lean on the kind of the worldwide aspect of it and they kind of make up the difference that way. So yeah, he was a big star and he was a new star as well. Mm. And he, you know, he looked fucking great doing it. So they wanted to send him all around the world. So big time stress on Batista's shoulders as we head into our next match, which is a rematch for the World's Heavyweight Championship inside a Hell in a Cell at Vengeance 2005 as the animal Dave Batista takes on his mentor and the man who just wants the gold once again, Triple H, in a match which most consider to be Batista's greatest match that he's ever done. Wow, okay. Interesting that. The video package for this was fucking fantastic. I adore this. It going from the subtleties before of him, you know, kind of, oh, maybe I'm a little bit as good as Triple H to be like, I'm the top of the food chain. I'm the man. Oh, oh, baby. I got goosebumps watching this. This is when I realized, oh, I was just pretending to not be the biggest Batista fan Aww. in the world back then. Like, you know, it was it was a, a trip down memory lane and then some. This set design for Vengeance is AEW coded. <laughs> what do you mean? Because it's gambling themed. There's a lot, there's a lot of gambling. Yeah, there's big dice. Yeah. Isn't there? They're definitely in Las Vegas. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that much is for sure. There's no stacks of casino chips, like, you know. <laughs> also, if I'm going to continue my youth slang, the music for lowering the Hell in a Cell is low-key underrated. I mean, low-key underrated. Those are terms that us old people use. We're allowed to say those still, are we right? Allowed to, is, it, is it uncool now to say low-key? What low-key? You say low-key all the time. I don't know. Well, it is underrated. It is right? underrated, though. The music is banging. I think I know why that is, though. Because you think Brett's going to come out like... Somebody needs to do a remix. 
Let me tell you, there's nothing quite as scary as being in the midst of an era where bloodletting is not just normal, it is encouraged, and Batista coming out in tiny white pants, which will definitely be covered in blood by the end of this encounter. I thought it was interesting, actually, that Batista was in white, because we have Triple H in black, so they are very heavily leaning on the good versus bad. I'm always fascinated by when wrestling decides. Yes. Which moments does it lean into the whole good versus evil colour theory? Yeah, Triple H is, you know, at the height of being a no-good, rotten, dirty bastard. And in 2024 as well, he's not doing particularly well for himself in, in real life either, so... It was as good a time as any to watch Triple H get beat up and look really scared and go, no, please, no. I figured if, because I've never enjoyed a Triple H match, and I figured <laughs> if there's ever going to be one I'd enjoy, it would be him getting beaten to shreds in a cell. I mean. <laughs> but well, let's see, I guess. I mean, I was fucking scared to death because Dave started taking some of these big bumps off the apron and whoever's gotten in his ear that you're the world champion you got to get your working skates on this is less than 18 months after that match against Shawn Michaels and the confidence if he's faking it till he's making it you've made it because he was like a different guy Mm -hmm. altogether his eyes he fucking smiles this confidence that he has it is incredible to see and just in in terms of what he's doing in the ring as well because he felt a little bit kind of like a little bit on roller skates during that Shawn Michaels match. Yeah. Wasn't sure of his foot. And then like, one of the first things he does is he dives off the apron and goes smash right into the cell. Yeah. Fucking hell. Do you fear the cell, Dave? That's what <laughs> Triple H says. I think for Batista, part of the reason why he suddenly gained so much confidence in this particular time is because he wasn't playing really a version of himself anymore. I think this is when he finally understands, oh, it's a character. It's yes. like a game. I don't... Yeah, I think before the character he was betraying was almost too close to what he's actually like. Yeah. You know, he had of, to play a bit of a nervous man. Like, But here he's kind of, he's the volume is turned up so yeah. much that this is definitely just a character that he is now. I think that's now. much easier for someone with that level of performance anxiety to be like, no, it's not, I don't have to be me. I, I, I'm I, being that guy. You don't like us? I, yeah. It's got a big yeah. This is I Walk Alone, is it? I Walk Alone. I like alone. that bit. Yeah. I Walk Alone. I wonder if maybe I need to listen to it in the right circumstances. Maybe I need to like work out while listening to it. No, like have a mental breakdown, cry myself to sleep, punch a wall. Oh no! You know, like have a proper emo meltdown while listening to it. No, I don't want any of that to happen for you. Goodness. But I think that's what would need to happen for me to really get the music. Okay, you know what? I'm happy that you don't get the music. I'm like too mentally well to appreciate it. Damn the stability. Damn it. I think Teen Joe would have Oh yeah, Teen Joe would have redacted (laughs) (laughs) so they get a chain out early doors in this one there is a a lot of gimmickry in this one and not not what i was expecting i remember like when i was watching this as a kid this is where i was like okay this is gonna be one of these boring hell in the cell matches where they're not gonna do anything and they don't leave the cell or go up on top but they've got every gimmick ready to go that big heavy chain they take out Mm. and i know i just got this like weird pride i don't know why i have no reason to be proud of him but when dave started swinging the chain he hit it against the stairs with triple h and made a big noise yeah. and i was like good, good man lad. good yeah. man yourself like i appreciate you making the big noise there triple h just spends the entire match selling it like he's seen a ghost who's also come back to life to kill him <laughs> he is cowering on his hands and knees 
It is great. If you want to see Triple H get beat up, this is a good match for you. He just gets whipped with the chain. (laughs) And yeah, like, you don't bring a chain out to a match with a guy who was known to actually wear a chain. Yeah, that was it. Because there's a moment where he gets... Dave gets choked by the chain. And it's just like, you're just adding to his outfit you're giving him more gimmicks we're we're bringing back the leviathan you want that like you know have i mentioned on the podcast before my theory of wrestlers heights being worked depending on if they want to push them as a heel or a face (laughs) i know i've mentioned it to you but i don't know if i mentioned it on the podcast i don't think you have and i i'm not entirely sure about this right well i i think it is true i think it was brett i first noticed that or it might have been owen where i first noticed though because they they don't when they come to the ring, they don't mention their height. No. You know, the height is mentioned kind of quite randomly, yes. whereas the weight is always mentioned. Yeah, so, yeah. you know. But here, JR on commentary refers to Batista as being six foot six. Oh, okay. But <laughs> earlier in his career and later in his career, he was referred to as being six foot five. Oh, come on now. So what, he grew and lost an inch? No way, it's worked. Are you saying that to me because he's either then the same height as me or gimmicked taller yeah. than me? I think he is the same height as you and I think gimmicked, they added an inch because they were like, oh, we have to push him as a baby face. He needs to be taller. We need a life-size Dax the Destroyer cutout in this house Yeah. so we can make a pure confirmation on this yeah because i don't want to go around my head thinking that this guy is bigger than me i mean he's bigger than you are you going purely by height i'm talking about personality job a big i'm a big personality you know i'm not reserved like big baby dave batista i don't want to leave evolution come on get out of here look i'm just saying six foot four talk i'm saying i think wrestlers heights are worked depending on on if they see them as a baby face or not and tweet in if you agree and if you have any examples because this is something I'm going to be paying close attention to from now on. His weight, I will say, they go all over the place. Yeah. 300 pounds, 320 pounds, 350 pounds. Like he is north of 300, but yeah. which he's not... I, mean, th- I think he's fluctuating in weight quite a bit at this point though because... He's big here. He is big, he's yeah. He's very fucking big here for sure. And he is also as well nursing a bunch of injuries yeah. still. You know, that's, that's a scary thing in wrestling where it's like, hey... You're this certain age, the rocket is strapped to you and you're hurt. And also by the nature of this business right now, you have to have these matches that are like, there's no way you can be in this match and not come away physically hurt. You know, they are, you're not in HD. If you were in HD watching this, you'd see all the little cuts and abrasions and marks. You can see on Triple H's back, he has got welts forming from the chain. It's not fucking nice. Like that chain was heavy. Yeah. It's like, all right, we either have to pretend and pretend that it's heavy or just get a heavy chain. They went with a heavy chain That's instead. my issue with chains and wrestling. I love it in theory, but I always find they, they look fake yeah. and they sound fake because mm. a heavy chain sounds just like a fake chain. Yeah, I don't have that little jingly sound like yeah. you're keys or something like that. Did you catch the strange line on commentary from JR? This is when he got a little bit sexy talking about the cell. Yeah, he said... The cell has a sadomasochistic personality, in my view. Which, I looked this up just to be... Because I was like, hang on, what's he implying there? And yeah, sure enough, if you say that something or someone is sadomasochistic, it implies that they are receiving sexual gratification. Mm -hmm. So he's saying the hell in the cell is getting off on this. That's why they changed it to that big red cell, because the the regular cell got cancelled. Too horny. It was was caught and sending all these gross messages and stuff like that. All the wrestlers that were in the ring, they didn't realise that the cell was getting Getting off the whole whole time. time. Like, you know, Mick Foley can't look at that cell anymore after what's happened. You know, it's it's disgusting. That's sick. S&M in wrestling, who'd have thought? We got 
A horrible blade job from Triple H. <laughs> when Triple H bleeds like this, I just imagine him you know, doing his entrance thing where he's like... It's w- blood spraying out of his head. He dug deep. Oh, yeah. It was unnecessary. I respect Dave too much mm. not to hit an artery. And I can't remember the spot that led to it. He was, oh, that was he was thrown into the cell wall. Yeah, the other thing where he rubbed his face against it, creating the head like cabbage. That pissed me off. That would not cause blood like that because he bleeds so much. Yeah, he, he hits a fucking gusher and here. It comes from flipping nowhere. And I hate it. It's really, really obvious. It's, and you know. Just, nah, don't like it. We're a couple of years away from it being PG. I think it's funny comparing this match to the match we're going to do later. Yeah. They compare and contrast what you do for them high spots because... Triple H has a thick layer of blood and you can see he's doing that special blood breathing oh, as well. Oh yeah, it is pretty impressive to see because the blood changes colour. It starts to go it's, black. It's really dark. Yeah. Because the darkness in his heart starts pumping out all the black shit. You but know? it just made me realise that I think the main reason I hated blood and wrestling for so long was because of these types of blade spots where it doesn't make sense and it honestly detracts and it makes me then think too much about wrestlers self-harming. I always think that Triple H in particular, and Sean does this as well, I think these are the blade jobs that are done for the benefit of video packages. Yeah, but at least with Sean, and look, Triple H does do this sometimes, I will give him credit for that, but Sean is better for it, where Sean will fling himself around, and the spectacle of seeing him get thrown does kind of make you go, God, that was nasty. No wonder he's bleeding. Yeah, yeah. Triple H, though... It's like he was waiting, like, oh, five minutes. Like, yeah. You know, What's the minimum amount of time before I can start fucking bleeding? And it's a shame, because I think if he'd waited, like, five more minutes, there were a few really sick spots where it would make sense for him to suddenly be bleeding from the face. But he just did it too yeah. soon. Hang on a second, Joe. The doctor keeps telling me... That I've got too much blood. Yeah, I gotta let, I gotta, let it out. I gotta let out eight glasses of blood out of my body every single day. <laughs> Otherwise, my blood will overtake my body and I'll explode. Like, you'd think you'd wait to be hit. They like, bring out a steel chair covered in barbed yeah, wire. Yeah, you think that's the point. That would be the point. Nah, where... He was already bleeding for ten minutes at that yeah. point. He bled onto the barbed wire chair. <laughs> that's it. Like, <laughs> when was it going to be wrong. used? I'll tell you what, though. I didn't think Dave would be taking the barbed wire chair right on the back. Yeah, no. And I didn't think as well that they would go for the, you got to use real barbed wire, otherwise it's not real, and Terry Funk will be really upset with me, Mommy. <laughs> no, they won't, because Dave gets smacked on the back, and you can see straight away, he's covered in all them little tiny nicks and scratches. Yeah, he's, he's bleeding, yeah. He is bleeding badly on the back, so. question. When the steel chair comes out, yes. the ref starts pleading with, I think it's Triple H who brings it out, and he's like, no, no, don't do it, don't do it. Even though they make very clear this is like a no DQ, yeah, anything goes. Why the fuck would the ref care? Why would they even try and stop them from using it? The referee has humanity, Joe. There's a difference between that, hey, come on now, back it up, one, two, that's, you're about to break the rules. Right. And then, no, come on, no, no, please, no. And you have unveiled what is one of my favourite things to do in matches that I get bored with, which is listening to referees talking to wrestlers doing something that they have absolutely no power over. Right. Because it often happens in Triple H matches where he takes out the sledgehammer and like, you can't take out the sledgehammer at the referee going, no, 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 no. Even if it's an ODQ match. 
And the amount of times where I've heard like Mike Keogh to go, not the hammer, Triple A, come on. <laughs> no, so not the hammer. They're appealing to the man's sense of, of, of humanity. It doesn't make sense. And I think they should have had like, I don't know, an angle or something. They should have explained sometime that the referees, if someone gets like really badly hurt with a weapon, they have to do loads of paperwork. <laughs> yeah, that admin. Good, yeah. That would make sense then where they're like, oh man, the no. The commissioner's on, on my ass. <laughs> yeah. You know, don't uh, make me fill out those forms. Crazy God amount of paperwork. <laughs> that paper pusher Earl Hebner's on my case again. <laughs> Let me tell you one thing, and this is something that only came after him working with Triple H, but Big Dave's facials, when he starts to come back and he's cooking... This man has an ability to make his eyes like bug out of his head, and he mm. goes, like Jr. keeps saying over and over again, like he's an animal, he's he's become an animal. And there's a lot of people who do shit, mean, nasty, rah, faces in wrestling, and it takes me out of it. Dave looks like his eyes are literally about to shoot out of his fucking head. Yeah, he gives it his all. I swear to God, Joe, it took every ounce of restraint in my body while this was happening, and he was making his comeback. Not to throw down my notes and go. <laughs> I had all the pyro up behind the couch and oh, everything. What? You know, I no, I care about this podcast too much. Okay. And I did like as well that during his comeback, where the big spot was, he was going to slam Triple H onto the chair that's covered in barbed wire. It went right up Triple H's arse. The, what? The barbed wire went right in his arsehole. What? Really? Yeah, he was, no, did he actually sell back? I, I missed he that. He did. He went, Ugh. My was, hole. No. <laughs> and a young Nia Jax looks on and goes, hmm, I think I might utilize this at some point. It was great. Dave's blade job. Blood teaster. I mean, it's it's baby's first blade job, isn't it? I, mean, I thought it was better than Triple H's because it made sense. It did. It was a little bit because, you know, he got, he got cut up with that chair. A yep. little blade job. But he had sweated off within like... A minute or two, I think. Nothing wrong with that. Whereas Triple H, his blood lasts forever. <laughs> the hammer comes out and Batista... <laughs> Batista avoids Triple H using the hammer. And when he picks up the hammer and he looks at it, even though like we've seen in video packages and all that in the build-up before, he like smashes the hammer, which is really yeah, cool. Yeah, I love that. But when he picks up the hammer and decides to use it himself, it's like when the apes in Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes pick up the gun and they're like... Ah, and they learn how to shoot it and all that. <laughs> Batista would be so funny with a little gun. I think I'd say Batista would be so great in Planet of the Apes. That too. He'd be great. Which ape? Oh, I mean, I think he would definitely be one of the, the gorilla generals, perhaps, like, you know. Yeah, I think he could think pull so, that off. I think you know? he could be a chimp as well, though. Oh, he's very... Di- he's got good range. Good primate range. Yeah. yeah. I always said that about Batista. Oh, man, I just... I. I feel I, I've not descended into pure fanboy silliness on this podcast in a long time, but when Triple H goes to the top rope and Batiste just holds Fuck. the hammer up, it's awful. And Triple H lands on a chin first it's and goes, <laughs> blood out of his mouth. There's a bit that I love and there's a bit that I hate. First of all, the drop, which I forgot. I went through a period. I'm listening back to our old pay per view reviews. I used to call this the Seamus drop, and I'm I'm bringing it back. This well, is the, the Seamus drop. Or, or is that when you jump off the top rope and you're literally like, I'm gonna land on my feet. Look yep. at everyone, like Whee! a small jump, yeah, falling like Very a safe. stone off a bridge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he does that onto the sledgehammer, and yeah, I hated that bit, but I 
think we need more blood capsules in wrestling because the fact that Triple H coughs up blood is so funny. It hits him right under the chin and he goes, Bleh. it's honestly the only time I've seen a sledgehammer shot that I didn't laugh at, you know, for it being so shy. It's so cool. We should, well, we should like, do that all the fucking time. No, no, when you're holding up, you should put your hand on top as well. Then I hit your hand and it's really sore and I go, <laughs> I just love the fact that because I always thought that blading was just like, yeah, if you see blood in wrestling, that blood is real. But now it's like, now I don't know when I'm being worked and when it's shoot. Like, and yeah. I love that. I love not knowing. I tell you what is really smart recently is they've used Nakamura, the fact that he does the red mist. Oh, yeah. You know, and Shinsuke, of course, we're big fans of. We did an episode of him very, very early days of this podcast. But they've used a lot of times about him using the red mist on Cody so Cody can do the big f- comeback and he's covered in all this red liquid. It's like he gets to, in his mind, yeah. do the big fiery comeback where he's done a covered big blade job. But it's just, <laughs> you know, food covering or whatever it is. <laughs> But yeah, uh, more blood capsules in wrestling for sure. The stairs get thrown at Triple H. Then the corner stairs get thrown at Triple H. This is great. He kicks out of Triple H's pedigree, which is fantastic. And then he goes for the spine buster onto the stairs. And as he's picking Triple H up for the Batista bomb, Triple H picks up the hammer, but he's too weak. To even, he just has the hammer and he's like, and he gets fucking smashed. Batista wins. I walk alone. I fucking oh my god I forgot how much I love this match but I realise this match contains a lot of things that you're less fond of A. I don't think you like Hell in the Cells that greatly B. Wanton Bloodletting and C. Triple H Mm. so there's a dirty trio working against you here in this one so I'm not I'm not anticipating a great score well I'm glad for that at least so I have to like depress you out of nowhere i had numerous issues with this match one of my issues was the match was too long which is always the way with triple h as soon as i knew we were doing a triple h match i was like great it's gonna be flipping 45 minutes if you want to know why we're doing three matches <sighs> as opposed four. to four it's because we did this match. yeah <laughs> and my other issue which again seems to be a thing with triple h matches i don't know if this is fair or not but he I, a lot of the matches of his i've seen they're all punches and kicks and then, like, randomly, there'll be, like, a hardcore move with, like, a weapon or something. And then there'll be blood out of nowhere. Yeah, okay. Without without the nostalgia glasses on there, I will definitely give you this. No more so is the absolute breakneck speed at which wrestling quality and expectations has advanced in the last 20 years than going back and watching a main event match with Triple H from, like, you know, 2004, 2005. But that's it. Like, because feel... the standard now is astronomical but compared to then the standard before then was astronomical <laughs> as well like fuck I mean, only recently you would look watching matches between like Tajiri and Lance Storm like amazing matches like some really oh, great wrestling main event matches okay. with blood I'm sure and, there know. are like, you've got Kurt Angle doing I'm sure a match against Shawn Michaels well Kurt Angle like, and Shawn Michaels was yeah. from that Wrestlemania yeah that, right. that you were a big fan of so yeah. wrestling was great wrestling then became great but there's this period here where triple h is head honcho and it just isn't my thing and i think my issue with it i don't even mind punches and kicks because i love that texan style you know we did the jbl episode brawl yeah i do love a good brawl my whole thing why i like wrestling is i like not knowing what's real and what's fake and with these types of matches the punches and the kicks look shit they're really soft and weak looking they look worked and then you get these random actually dangerous moves with weapons where you know people are getting like i don't think there were unprotected chair shots in this match but no but there was at there this were time you know nasty spots which could have gone wrong yeah i think there was a lot of there was a lot of them 
like taking liberties with their own bodies. Yeah. And I think there is a theory at that point, which is you don't care about the other moves and the other bits because the fans are only going to talk about the thing with the, the stairs, spot, yeah. the thing with the hammer, the thing with the barbed wire chair, the thing with the cell, which, and you I've know, that's e- not aged well. I don't think that mentality. I accepted that that's not my speed at all. Yeah. I, I much prefer a brawl where the punches seem real and there are no weapons. I yeah. don't care about that side of things unless it's like a Mick Foley, Cactus Jack type of like hardcore match where you're leaning into it. It just takes me out otherwise. So, But were you impressed that Dave could hang in this type of a no DQ crazy gimmick brawl? Because that's, you know, definitely different from what he was, you know, what he was doing beforehand. You know, he's a lot more straight laced. He wouldn't have been a lad. I would have thought gimmick matches were his forte. But like, why? I don't know. Just because I think you see a big muscle dude like that and you don't expect him to go to that kind of... I expect Triple H to fucking gig himself and, you know do all these stupid indulgent spots whatever but i just i thought dave he could have seemed like a fish out of water in this match mm. and he didn't so i he thought didn't, that he, no. he did very well with this so but then again this is the learning tree that he's been sat under for the last two years at this point so yeah. you know i guess it wouldn't be that way <laughs> no he, he was good and he was very vicious it's just my issue is that look i love to see bad men get punished and i thought i'd love to see triple h get the shit beaten out of him but he kind of took the power away from it for me because of his terrible blade job where, you know, I want to see people hurt Triple H. I do. I love that. But I don't want to see Triple H hurt himself. That's like, he's too much in control there. And I want to deny him that control. I want to see people hurt him without his consent, really, as much as possible. So the fact that Triple H (laughs) immediately bladed him ruined my wrestling boner metaphorically i think you could give it a five more minutes and the, the the amount of blood that you had towards the end of the match obviously like the visual of like his his wraps on his hands like literally frayed away and like covered and all like the blood and all dried and all that there's yeah. a great shot of just his hand on the hammer at the yeah, end some good visuals it was very very good but the visuals shouldn't outbalance the match though should they no, really? I, you shouldn't I, ever have like right that picture is better than the match you don't really yeah. need to see the match the picture is really cool i do feel you know i talk about them doing this for the, the benefit of video packages and stuff like that, I do think they're always more concerned, and Triple H was, was head honcho of this, of creating matches that have memories that you will recall, but they don't necessarily want you to think back and watch the whole match. That's it. You want to think that the war that Triple H and Batista had, do they want you to go back and actually watch Triple H versus Batista and really think, probably not, but you want to see a video package where you see Triple H all bloody in the cell and doing all the cool stuff. Anyway, I'm skirting around the obvious. Give it to me. Go on. What's the, what's the rating then? This is exactly what I thought wrestling was like before I watched wrestling. <laughs> and so I gave it two stars. Oh, God. <laughs> and my God, if you'd tried to get me into watching wrestling as a new fan with Don't this shit, I'd be gone. You would not be married today. Shit. Just as well no one wanted to watch wrestling with me in 2005 then. Yeah. Phew. Because <laughs> as much as I love Batista and I'd love to see Triple H bleed for his sins... <laughs> It's just not right. Yeah. It's just... A bit on the gratuitous side for you, I think. Or, like, not even gratuitous enough. It's just the timing of that blade job. If he... Because the bit where he rubs the barbed wire chair in Triple H's face would have been so satisfying if that's when he started bleeding. He was already bleeding. He was already bleeding. It's already like, oh, he's already in control, isn't he? It's it's worked. It's wrestling's fake now. I'm not going to watch it anymore. My brother was right. (laughs) Well, poor old Dave. Despite the fact that he's won that world title, he's defended against Triple H, and that was kind of something that would lead into his very final match that Triple H never was able to beat him, you know, and I always thought that part of this was Triple H to be able to go like, hey, I don't bury people. Look, Dave... You know, never beat him, you know? So 
that's not putting someone over I don't know who is mm. and pretty much straight away they put Batista on another brand they move him over to Smackdown which is so funny it's just, theoretically it's a great idea right I mean, it is you but know? also like we have kayfabed ourselves into a shoot now right because that was Triple H's whole thing and originally it was like he didn't want to be on the same brand as him and now Batista's beaten Triple H He's being moved, relegated over to SmackDown then. And the idea, of course, you know, hey, fresh matchups, you know, you know, you don't have to have the, the kind of the baggage of all the other people from Evolution being on the same roster as you, which is good good point and all that. But if you think about it for real, it's like you're taking him away from all the people that he's learned from, mm. all the people that he's comfortable with, all of his road buddies, and he's going over to this other brand now as the world champion, a guy who's been in the company for two and a half years. And I didn't know this until we were doing our research, but boy, oh boy, Batista had very few fans in that SmackDown locker room. I thought, like, surely this was overblown. I know that him and Booker T had, like, a fisticuffs at one point, Mm. but he had very few fans when he showed up. He apparently rubbed people the wrong way. I had no idea until this episode that SmackDown and Raw had, like, different cliques and stuff. I mean, a lot of it was kind of them working themselves into a bit of a issue. Like, they wanted to have this kind of fake rivalry, you know? No, I know, but But within... I know it did spiral off in some cases into people, I'm not saying that you know... SmackDown was a click. I'm saying that within SmackDown, the cliques were different from the cliques in, oh, in yeah. Raw. They were well, their own friendship They're groups. on different, yeah. um, you know, different travel schedules and so all that. Yeah. it is like moving to a new school, almost. Yeah. Like, I didn't realise New referees, new producers, that. all that jazz. I yeah. always thought... They always intermingled and they yeah, worked together all the time and there different. wasn't separation at all. But yeah, it's totally different. So yeah, it would have been hard for him. And apparently the reason why everyone thought he was arrogant and stuff is because he was so shy. So Dave Batista is a massive introvert. He is very, very shy. He's very introverted. He said that his favorite thing to do at this point in his life like was just to hang out with Angie, his wife, at home be homebodies that's all they wanted to do was be together at home and spend time at home together you don't get much chance to do that when you're the champion of the kind of the the new brand or whatever it is that you're on and obviously he's been brought in really rapidly through like the you know rick flair and randy orton and triple h and stuff and he's been in that clique which already i think was a clique even if he didn't realize it it is especially seen as by the boys who maybe are mid-carders or jobbers they would look at that and be like geez yeah putting themselves over all the time and yeah, suddenly he's on this new brand where Which, he hasn't got that support and he's not talking to anyone because he's shy. And the people who are the head of that brand, it's Undertaker, it's JBL, it's it's the classic people who are like, they want to pay fucking homage to the old guy and the old brand. Oh, there's a new guy. He's yeah, got to pay his dues. Didn't pay his dues. Mm. Didn't go and play football. Time to and, haze you know, him. Time to haze him and all that. But it's like, you know, have a good time. You know, haze it like literally one of the biggest stars in the company and all that. And I think like, it's not like he got bullied and shit like that. It's just that there was a lot of like standoffishness. I think he was ostracized. I think he was, you know, because like slow th- to make friends, let's just say. I think it always is hard for the champion anyway. I know Brett said when he became champion, a lot of the boys suddenly felt like he was better than the rest yeah. of them. Because like you do get given your own locker room. I know some people choose not to use it, but I think... Your payday is a lot bigger as well. Yeah, you know? and I think the the other talent is told, don't waste the time of the big stars. They're the big stars. You you stay out of their way. You know, yeah. they're, they're better than you. And I think 
that's what people maybe thought Batista was actually like. They kind of like worked themselves into a shoot with regards to his character. Well, I think what was always very, very telling when you want to find out about like top stars and how they were is always find out about jobbers and what they thought of them. And we actually found one of the few people who we could find talking about Batista and what he was like backstage was uh, old Kurt Hawkins. And Mm. obviously he wasn't in the roster at this point. It would have been many years later. But he gave the exact experience that I reckoned was, was what it was like, which was... You see this guy, Batista, he looks like a fucking million dollars. He's mad intimidating. He's super imposing. Keeps to himself. So you assume he doesn't want to have anything to do with mm. you. He has no time for you. He's a big star. And then, yeah, he is. He's associating with Ric Flair and Triple H. Like, you would assume that. And like, he said that when him and Zack Ryder, they had like some handicap matches or whatever it was. And like, one of the first things they were shot by was that he learned their real names, not their gimmick names. Yeah, he's and, apparently one of the only people to do that yeah, in the business. And like, they were the bottom tier yeah. fucking bottom bottom of the bottom jobber guys and he was you know very nice and very courteous and they're like yeah just we all just misunderstood and like this is the recurring thing with him which is if you're anxious and you're big and you're quiet people jump to conclusions and if there's a big world title on your shoulder as well and a lot of these old veterans don't like you Mm -hmm. well then obviously other conclusions are going to get jumped to but i don't think batista was out there being a fucking prick no not at all and his time on top like, you want to talk about a nightmare scenario. I've heard of people having a rough time when, you know, adjusting to that schedule on top. And we talked about, you know, how he was out of the house a lot. Mm. But his personal life was fucking insanely tough at this point in time. Yeah. So it's kind of complicated. We'll try and go into a little bit of it. But I think it's only important just so you know what the mindset was while he was going through this difficult adjustment to a new brand. That's it. So we've got shy Dave Batista. And anyone who's actually shy will have been through this themselves. Like, Shy people often get branded unfairly as being like arrogant yeah, yeah. or self-obsessed, and it's just not that at all. You just they're just shy, and so in this time where he's got the championship and obviously he's getting pushed to the moon now, and he's doing all these like world tours and meet and greets and stuff. Now bear in mind he still has quite humble expectations. I think it was Zack Ryder who said like at one point he went to like a fan meet and greet and he was like, "Well, I hope someone wants my autograph." And it's like, dude, you're the champion like of course they're gonna want <laughs> he says he yeah. had you have these panic attacks before autograph signs because he thought no one's gonna come yeah and i'm gonna be sat there on my own but i have to stay here for an hour and i'll be so embarrassed like jesus christ man to go from that to the huge success of of how his title run went where he was being suddenly he's like gets to go to like the philippines where he's got massive groundswell of support like he is seen as a huge celebrity in so many parts of the world he's suddenly meeting all these like sexy women and stuff and like socializing with celebrities and things and he's just like never home and as i said him and angie were homebodies yeah. that was like how they spend spent valuable time together so she was quite upfront and saying like look you know i feel disconnected from you i don't see him you know i, I didn't see him at all I, and it was really hard to have any sort of a relationship together at the same time david got in custody of his two kids from his previous relationship yeah so something happened with his first girlfriend who the mother of his kids and so he ended up taking over custody and around this time his eldest daughter actually got pregnant and she was very very young at the time so they all eventually moved in with him yeah and this is kind of you know it's a real sweet idea where it it's is. like look okay so i've got custody i'm not on the road my um, wife is missing me so the obvious solution to that is she's been like kind of a stepmother to them yeah so the kids will move in the partner of my daughter who's pregnant will move in. The the newborn will be here as well. Yeah. Suddenly he's gone My from... mum will move in as yeah. well. It's a big happy family. I'm not going to be here most of the time, but you'll That's all be okay. It. It's like... <laughs> it's very naive. It's very naive and it's a little bit selfish as well. The fact that he couldn't realise 
what a burden that would be to Angie. Because, yeah. yeah, that isn't... It, I mean, it's become her family, but it wasn't really her family. And that's a lot of responsibility for her to then also not have the support of her husband that she previously did have because he's never there. Yeah, I, I think, like, I don't know, your extended family is not a replacement for your partner. Yeah. You know? and, I, and I think they're them splitting shortly thereafter is... You know, it, was, it felt like it was inevitable, but like there was great sadness and tragedy here along the way because the father of what would be then his grandchild, he died in a car accident around this period of time mm. as well. And this is all while he's on, you know, not at home at a whole time. So it's just really fucking awful vortex. Like his life kind of seems to spiral out of control as soon as he reaches this level of superstardom and it's one thing where it's like you know he can see always oh, old mr dream chaser and all that but it's not like you know he grew up being like i have to be this guy no matter what the fact that that wasn't his dream he came here and this all happened to him and he still stuck it out it's like fucking hell he's made of stronger stuff than he realizes because that's more than one person's fair share of sadness for one lifetime well and um, we haven't even touched on some other sadness that he went through because we thought it was a bit strange that he was so affected by his daughter's partner's death yeah but the truth is like yes he died in a car accident but dave batista bought him that car and (sighs) batista's older brother died in a car accident yeah you remember you saying to me so that's not just like one trauma being resurfaced that's actually quite a few not to mention the personal responsibility you'd obviously feel and it was right after you know his daughter and the partner who died they had just split and then literally a couple weeks later that happened the daughter had been when she was pregnant she kept running away from home and stuff it's just it's just fucking it's so it kind of makes it feel like i don't know booker t doesn't like you feels kind of fucking besides the point at this time and i think if you're wrapped up in your head Probably had good reason for that. And it mm. wasn't because he was worried about his fucking spot or whatever it was. It was, he had much bigger shit going on, you know? So yeah, I know like, the one thing I knew about Dave around this time from from being on the message boards, etc. when I was a teen was that there were all these rumours swirling around him that he was like involved with all these other ladies on the roads, including a number of, of wrestlers on the roster. And but, fans as well. And fans. And, like I do remember like the big story was like, oh, you know, he slept with Melina and Johnny Nitro didn't do anything about it. And that's why WWE and Vince McMahon never respected Johnny Nitro because he got cooked and all that. Mm. And I always remember thinking, probably a lot of this is going to be conflated with the fact that they actually did an angle where like Melina, the heel character, tried to sleep with Batista to get something. And uh, you It's know. funny you say that because you could actually argue the same thing with the Booker T stuff. Because yeah. the first source for them having real life heat was from the WWE website. <laughs> Around the same time, they're actually feuding. Well, they did have a no. They did have a fight at a. Oh, at I'm not a, denying it. I'm just saying they, 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 they lent into it. Yeah. yeah. So we did actually watch some interviews with like Melina and Ariel and stuff like that, and it just seems like very much the Bret Hart situation again, where it's like I'm on the road, my fucking personal life is in tatters. He doesn't. He's not a big party or anything like that. So he was a man who fucking slept around, and that was his thing. He does refer to it as an addiction really to, not to sex but to female attention right okay um i think he's very much a people pleaser when it comes to women specifically literally hearing all the folks involved talk about this like you've not seen people light up like they're fucking high schoolers because dave's like fucking nearly 40 at this That's point in it, time yeah and, like, fucking, and like, like we were watched ariel's interview about it and she's like and then i said to him in front of everyone what the fuck's your problem motherfucker like, a big smile on her face yeah. like so it's like it's a lot of 
people who are very dramatically inclined, let's just say. Yeah. And like, in a toxic work environment yeah. as well. And like, we. we I always heard, like, because the story was like, oh, Batista got Ariel fired. Yeah. And, like, in her interview, she's like, you know, I was thinking about that, and maybe it was, but I also told Shawn Michaels and Triple H and Vincent Mann to go fuck themselves, yeah. and Johnny Ace as well. So oh, that yeah, I did, did scream in all their faces and tell them to fuck off and die. Oh, maybe may- that's why Maybe I got that's fired. why, you know. We were literally in tears of laughter, like, oh, you think? You think maybe screaming at those men might have I fucking love Ariel. Trouble. I love her. She's amazing. <laughs> Fantastic. Legend. So, yeah, it's... um. It's definitely easy to say that Dave Dave was well catered to in terms of what his addiction was while being the world champion and the it, top star. It's just complicated because I think it gets roped in with a lot of other... Because, like, yes, he did spend a lot of time with women. But I think a lot of fans were like, oh, it must be the women on wrestling. Like, it must be Melina and Ariel and stuff like that. And, like, he did end up dating Melina... But he only did that after he broke up with Angie. And so she had spit from Nitro at that point as she well. She was so. on and off with Nitro yeah. up until like 2010. And apparently Melina was one of the few people who had Batista's back, basically, when they were both going through a kind of... They were both ostracised a bit on SmackDown. Yes, we talked about that in the Edge yeah. podcast recent season. And Batista was one of the few people who kind of stood up for her when yeah. she was having various men in their late 40s hold her in wrestler's court and shout at her until she cried. And you know? the other way as well. Like, she had his back as well when there were lots of, again, like, people out to get him and stuff and yeah. making out so he's, like, arrogant and stuff. So they had a very fast friendship and they were very loyal to each other. But eventually there were so many rumours about them hooking up that they did actually end up dating after they both broke up from well, their respective partners. Well, are you all partners. happy now? <laughs> but I just thought I'd mention that because I know a lot of people are like, oh, he was dating her when he was with Angie. And it's like, it's not true. That was a year after that he they actually ended up hooking up. I think one of the people that he really grew close with, or at least helped him through this period in terms of one of his male peers, was Eddie Guerrero. Mm. Because, you know, he feuded with Eddie's last feud before he passed away was with Batista for the world title. And Eddie is like, you know just a, a total force of, of nature and charisma. And I think he just wanted, he wanted to bring the best out in Dave. And I think he knew that, you know, Eddie's always the type of guy who would like big everyone up and be like, hey, yeah. you're the best and all that. And like, I think it was really sweet because like when Eddie passed away, because he was the fucking champion on SmackDown, like Batista was allowed to fucking come out in the low rider with the armband and do the big fucking rah-rah speech for the, you know, 10,000 people bawling their eyes out in the audience. And yeah. I always thought like, Jesus fucking Christ, like that's a, that's a tall order, you know, to, to make him have to do that. But at least they did seem to have had a closeness in their relationship mm. that, you know, it wasn't coming from just a, oh, you're the top guy, so I you go and, and do that. Yeah, I mean, the fact that in the documentary we watched, when they got to the bit about talking about Eddie... He was in tears. He was in tears. Yeah. Angie was in tears. Because yeah. she was like, he was so important to Dave and he really was like the, pretty much the only guy who looked out for him on SmackDown. He had a... What I think is... Probably one of the most unfortunate double whammies of injury ever. So he's the world champion. He's on SmackDown for a little bit. He gets injured. Comes back a couple of weeks later. Gets injured again. So he's injured his biceps. He's also injured his back. And he's out for a good long time this time. And he has to relinquish the world championship. And the person who actually caused the injury that made him go on the shelf was Mark Henry. He did like a splash on him. And Dave had his arm tucked in the wrong way. So when all of his weight went down, he literally crushed his bicep and popped right off the fucking bone. So they had to literally like take... He had excess tendon in his leg and they had to harvest that and put it into his his arm instead. But, you know, 
they decide to do the thing which I'm always harping on about and wish they would do on our pay-per-view reviews, which is like, hey, if someone gets injured, give someone the the blame and say, this it's Seamus got injured by Christian or whoever it was. Mm-hmm. And then you do a story about that when they come back. So they did that. It's like, hey, Mark Henry injured Batista. Mark Henry cuts all these promos about how he's dangerous and he injured Batista. Batista comes back like fucking eight months later. Finally, he misses a whole year of WrestleMania and all that. And he comes back and it's like, him and Mark Henry, they're on a collision course. The next night, Mark Henry gets injured and he's out for a year oh as well. Oh my God. And you want to talk about fucking Blue Tista, the fucking blue balls that you must feel as a wrestling fan at that point in time where you spend all this time hyping up the one man that Batista wants to get his hands on. And the, oh yeah, he's injured. Not by you, just randomly in a tag match. You know, that's just, it was so, so badly, badly misfortune time. And, you know, Batista's had such bad luck in I his know. life. He He's like the Keanu Reeves of professional wrestling. <laughs> like he had like his comeback was successful in as much as, you know, he had a match with The Undertaker that following year's WrestleMania, WrestleMania 23. We watched that just before we started. And that's like a, a big moment for him in so much as he felt like he wasn't you know, learning still, or he wasn't being carried or anything like that. He was, you know, if you can have a big main event match with the Undertaker WrestleMania, you're minted. You are, you're, you're all that. You know, you're not hype. You are, you are that. And I think, I don't know, it, it feels like the WWE want to like lean on that as kind of like, oh, that's what kind of made him. And that's when he became a true big star. But I think the reality is, is that he was kind of on that path anyway. Just injuries slowed it down, mm. you know? And I think injuries can derail most careers. The fact that he kept going was very very impressive but like he had another injury not that long after that in like 2007 i believe it was right so i think dave in total has had to relinquish the world title three times wow. over the years poor guy and as someone you know who's definitely you know i was reacting when his stuff was you can tell the fucking the little teen batista fan that's clearly in me coming out in this episode it was very hard to be his fan hmm. because he kept you know and he became kind of a bit of a meme. I remember someone put together this uh, meme video on YouTube where they did a super cut of all the times where Batista was like, I'm relinquishing the title. When I come back, I want my rematch. It'd be like he knew like, any random match, but like, I want my rematch. And like, you know, you know when you're kind of at that point, you're, you are, your, your woes have become silly in the eyes of many fans. Yeah. It's kind of a hard road to come back from. And I thought that he was becoming like Cena you're kind of four or five years into them being the top guys now, mm. people were hungry for change. Yeah. And as much as people were happy to boo Cena and make that a big thing, people weren't booing Dave like they booed John. They never really turned on him like that, but he certainly was less exciting. Mm. You know, the tail end of that first documentary you watched was so fucking miserable because it's like, and then he fought The Undertaker. And then there's these three low energy chapters where it's like, yeah, then he fought Edge. You know, some of them matches, you know. <laughs> Uh, then he fought uh, JBL. You know, some of the matches were uh, they were on pay per view. You know, mm-hmm. uh, then he fought um, uh, CM Punk once, I think. Uh, you know that. You know, and he just he he didn't feel like he had. He just felt like he was a guy, and he was he was there. He was a championship caliber guy, but he wasn't getting his. He wasn't being exciting. He wasn't doing a whole lot with his time. And I think when you get injured, there's more of a spotlight on you when you come back. To do something now. Yeah. And I think it felt like it was diminishing returns with him at this point. Mm. It took him a long time to figure it out. 
But the obvious answer was staring them right in the face all along, which is turn Batista heel. Mm -hmm. That is definitely a way to do it. Because some would argue he's a natural heel because he's a big scary looking dude. I think WWE fell in love with the idea of this kind of soft-spoken, kind of gentle giant who had a kind of a cool, quiet charisma about him that they didn't see. You know, the obvious thing to do was this guy maybe could be a bit of a killer. You know, the, the, the heel turn against Rey Mysterio where he decimates that poor lad and screams, you're supposed to be my friend. Love that. Batista's got great spittle technique when oh, it comes to yes. shouting and screaming. Yes. And I feel that is very, you can't be a face spitting everywhere. No. But once he becomes a heel, that goo, that goo comes flying out. And I think, you know, there were some real life frustrations with Batista around this time as well, that I think worked out well with the heel character. What do you know about the absurd fine that he got? Oh, for blading. For blading. I know this is funny because, you know, you have had, you know, you've been outspoken about your opinions on blading. Not to say that, I think some people might wrongly think you hate all blood in wrestling. No, I don't. Not the case whatsoever. No, no, no. I love a bit of blood. Listen to the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But um, him getting fined. What do you know about this story? It was when they were in the PG era and blading was illegal. So it's something like 08. So after after the Benoit tragedy kind of spurned them into a squeaky clean era, let's just right. say. And so yeah, blading was uh, not allowed. And he bladed. Such a shit blade job. It's literally a little trickle. Yeah, like. He thought he, it needed it, I guess. Old school. And he got fined. A lot of money, from what I remember. A huge amount of money. I think it's one of the biggest... Uh, finds a wrestler is received that we know of, right? It was in a match with Jericho. And Jericho had turned heel and they wanted to put the belt on him, so they kind of they they Batista kind of transitioned the belt onto him basically. And they were in a cage match. I think in their minds, so it didn't feel like kind of a throwaway, oh we're just swapping the title around. Oh blood will make it seem that much more real and all that. And it was a hundred thousand dollars, I think he got fined. Maybe I am a terrible person who thinks the worst of Chris Jericho. But the little I know about Chris Jericho, I think it was his idea. I think he whispered in Dave's ear. Oh, I think a bit of blood. I think I really, really met this match, actually. And then he wrote about it in his book. This is where I found out about it originally. Mm. And like the referee got fined as well because they all they didn't they all colluded together in it. I think right. it was Batista's idea, according to to, to Jericho mm. and all that. I think Batista did take take ownership of it because you know he was the champion and he claimed that it was. I don't deny that he took ownership. I still believe it was Jericho's idea. He paid all their fines. That's incredible. What a nice guy. But there's many people, he's never said it outright, but there's many people, and I am count myself as one of them, who believe that was the moment where Batista kind of started eyeing and uh, maybe a life after wrestling because he just felt very poorly treated. And mm. I think once you reach a certain level like he had, I don't think he wanted to be made an example out of. Yeah. And it certainly was a fine that was made out of anger as opposed to out of any... Like There wasn't like a guy that says, oh, if you do this, you get find a hundred oh, really? no 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 it's just like you get fined and they just we want to make a big example out of you I think they thought they were being blasé about it other people might do it so there you go record crazy fucking fine wow. but like a hundred grand is more money than a lot of us will see in a lifetime like yeah. that's that's insanity huge amount of money yeah that is is a very very absurd amount just to flippantly throw at someone and like I don't want to say that Batista's bad with his money but like more on that layer you know but you know this is a guy who I don't think was as financially secure as you would expect someone who mm. has been a top guy for four or five years at this point now yeah. but like there's a lot of interviews that he did after he left WWE where he was like 
asked why did he leave and he was like oh, i was sick of the pg stuff i didn't like it being pg i mm-hmm. thought the pg didn't suit my character or what i wanted to do in wrestling that's so interesting which i think is kind of coded for like the fuck did they find me a hundred grand for cutting yeah. myself you wouldn't mind it wasn't like it wasn't triple h like you know it was a little fucking baby trickle you know but if you're gonna do a blade job when you're not meant to you have to do it like brett and do it really good make it look like an accident mm. his did not look like an accident we'll we'll talk more about this in our next match i believe i believe so yes interesting so Batista turns heel and he turns heel because he's sick and tired of catering to all of his so-called friends and all the fans. And honestly, this is, for my money, the best work of his career. There's something very liberating about seeing a guy who's been kind of nice and smiling, but clearly kind of sick of it and spinning his wheels. Just be like, I'm here for one reason, one reason only. Money. Point at people in the crowd going, money, money, money. Yeah, all you see all of you is money. I want money. That's all I care. And he, he thinks John Cena's a phony because John Cena got to where he is by kissing babies and being nice to all the fans. And he just wants to be, you know, the the icon, the top of the business, have everything handed to him. And that's why he decides he wants no more big lights and pyro when he comes out. He just wants one thing, spotlight that's on him brilliant it's a really clever idea because obviously everyone loves the pyro yes so by denying them the pyro they're less likely to cheer for him even though he's a heel and this is a period of time where they were really cutting down on pyro anyway Ah, so it actually worked out quite well for him but yeah batista doing little muscle poses in this lone spotlight as opposed to big pyro going off is a hilarious vibe i was very much into that i thought that you'd enjoy this whole heel run of his just because of how kind of freely spoken he is and how kind of um i don't know just kind of like he's playing a proper character here because this is as far removed from real life dave as i think is possible yeah but there's also real honesty with it as well because he feels like quite frustrated at this point in time in his career Mm. and a lot of people point to this part of his career and kind of go he was kind of done and Mm. a lot of people when they're done they phone it in but when he's done, he's just kind of having a bit of fun with it. Right, yeah. And I love that. I love when a wrestler just decides, you know what, I'm just going to start doing something that is entertaining for yeah, me. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we all go along for the ride. And that takes us to <laughs> the I Quit match between John Cena and Batista at Over the Limit 2010. We are a lifetime away from the Blood and Guts era of 2005. We are firmly in the squeaky clean PG era. And Batista's pissed off because his last match with John Cena, which was a last man standing match, <laughs> he lost because of duct tape. Are you kidding me? Are you serious? He got duct taped to the ring post, but like his legs are, were wrapped around the ring post and then duct taped together so he couldn't stand up. It's so funny. And John Cena be mad serious, being like, there's a lot of people out there who think that I took the easy way out against Batista by taping him to the ring. I thought I was being ingenious or find a new angle, but I accept the charge of cowardice. And it's Christopher Batista be like, <laughs> Oh, baby. It's like two more, like these guys started in such similar positions and they went in such different ways. Yeah. One guy who was like, got the brand flowing through his veins. The other guy who's thinking, maybe there's another dream I can chase. Yeah. Surely there's something else I can do at this point in my life. Yeah. <laughs> Big fan of this. Before the bell even rings, Batista asks John if he wants to quit. <laughs> you want to quit? Uh, no. <laughs> it, it fills 
into that like PG bad guy role so well. That's it. It's why know? I don't really buy that the PG era was the thing he didn't like. It already was the the atmosphere and the workplace environment stuff. Yeah, he's been like he's been quite a silly bad guy. And, like, he's very good at it. I haven't seen a match from this era where the fans are so like, yay, the good guy John Cena, yeah. boo the bad guy Batista. There's no like, let's go Cena, Cena sucks. They're no. all cheering for John, and you can this audience sounds like it's entirely children. Yeah, because it's all like, yeah. And they all hate this big bad guy, Bootista, <laughs> bad Tista, as the sign says when he's coming out. 30 seconds in, and I mean, I could see the improvement Batista had made since the last match we saw. Like, he is just, he's faster, he's more confident, his moves are more precise and hard hitting. He yeah. has, like, completely leveled up. He has, he's completely changed his game, and, like, He's lighter here, I think, yeah. than he was. He's definitely slimmed down. He I think, moves lighter as well. And I think a lot of that is due to the fact that, you know, those injuries that he had now had ramped up so much. Mm. One of which actually he got in a match against John where John also broke his neck. So, Jesus. you know, these lads are... Like, I remember watching this being a bit scared because, mm. like, they had really fucked each other up in previous matches. But yeah. he's, he's definitely, like, fine-tuned. And I think it's... <laughs> it's always fun to watch an I Quit match. And I don't know why we always end. No, it is because you is get it? you get the question and you get the grunts. And yeah. I feel like we've watched a million John Cena yeah, I quit matches. I feel dare like I that say too. they're his specialty. Mm. But yeah, John Cena, <laughs> John Cena, getting the microphone in his face, be like, "You have to sign this agreement. Do you want to sign this agreement? What do you say? What do you say? No. If you want to live with me, you have to sign this agreement. What do you say? No. <laughs> Fantastic. I I honestly can't. Batista a few times like looking like he was having so much oh, yeah. fucking fun that's it. it's great like he starts laughing at one point <laughs> and like the fans all start chanting Cena 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 and Batista who's wearing the tiniest little PVC pants you've ever seen that have Batista written on them puts his fingers underneath them pulls them out and points at his <laughs> his crotch what I missed that yeah, he, goes, he goes like that and no one's chanting for him he, goes, he, he shrugs and starts laughing to himself <laughs> I'm like this lad's got a big last day of the job energy oh here oh my god and it's a far cry from Brock Lesnar and Goldberg's last day of the job where they're mm. all like looking at their shoes I'm going to clear up my locker this guy's like having so much fun he's going to write eat pussy on the wall when he leaves it's so great so does he know at this point this is his last match yeah I think so, okay. I think so yeah he was making plans to do other things and uh, Chief among which, MMA, would you believe? Wow. Yeah, he did have a, we'll talk about it here a little bit. He did go off and do a little bit of MMA, but very much in the vein of, it's a dream of mine to have always done an MMA match. So he found some very small league. They got him some big tomato can. He had a very boring MMA match. And then he's like, I've done the thing I wanted to do. Thank you, everyone. Goodbye. Wow, good for him. He didn't get... No one ever rags on him. No. Because he didn't get the big payday like Mm, CM Punk did. So it's actually... It's humbling when he does it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I love Batista using the referee as a human shield. He's got these heel instincts already down where he understands that, like, if you act a bit, like, lazy, if you do more character work, you can do less physical work. And he he is kind of lazy and cowardly in this match, which works with that character very, very well. There was one point, it's an I Quit match, where he says, you know, standard, John goes against the ropes, knocks him down, does a running boot, and he goes to cover him, and he starts laughing when he realises he's done the wrong thing. And it's so funny that he's being this really nasty heel character and he felt so lovable and so personable because he was so like it was just nice to see him finally at ease with himself Mm. even in like 
his big match with The Undertaker and with Triple H and all that, there was always a part of him where he's like, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? And he's like, he doesn't give a shit because he yeah. knows he's doing it right. He's, 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 he's fine. He's done this for long enough now at this point. <laughs> In such a short period of time as well. Mm. You know, I think that's really cool to see. Oh, wow. Batista's unlocked a submission. Ah, yes. The dreaded... Batista Bite, which I'm sure has been mentioned on many a rant about crap submission moves over the years. It's awful. It's so bad. It's so bad, Joe didn't even ask if I would do this to her at one point. Because it seems like it won't do much of anything. Mm. It kind of just moves your arms behind your head. And then you put your arms on their head. Yeah. It's not even a good stretch. No. (laughs) Don't. Shit. And if you're hypermobile like Joe, it's going to do absolutely (laughs) nothing for you. She does that to herself every morning when she wakes up. true. There was one point in this match that, uh, okay, I can't lay this at Batista or John Cena. I enjoyed this match, but this wasn't on them. But John was knocked down and the referee asked if John quit and he put the microphone in his face and you burped at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) What do you say, John? What do you say? (laughs) <laughs> you're welcome so Dave gets knocked out early on with the STF from John and John wants to wake him up so he can quit I didn't get that why doesn't the match end uh, because he's unconscious because you got to say I quit Joe that's what's got to happen you got to say I quit what if they get put what if they get put in a coma I, I, that, that's an interesting question they should do that in wrestling where someone gets put in a coma and the match doesn't officially end until they come out of the coma and you have a recurring segment every week on the show where the guy goes with the referee and oh, we're going to go to the hospital's visiting hours and like, do you quit what do you say what do you say <laughs> alright we'll come back next week we'll see and then, then it'll be the longest running match of all yeah, time exactly. now, wouldn't it? Like, you know, it depends how long a coma lasts for typically speaking get Brian Danielson on that he'd love it he'd fucking love that he would. Brian Danielson doing his little smile because he gets put in a coma yeah. for a wrestling match oh no I was thinking like the other his opponent gets put in the coma he gets like puts the guy in a coma in a submission move I don't know <laughs> is it a Brie I don't know I mean a medically induced coma you know it's, it's always been on my bucket list of things I want to do and he was that little wrestle smile wrestle a match while in a coma <laughs> <laughs> so John and Dave battle outside and this is very much like a kind of paint by numbers safe PG gimmick main event because they do their bit in the ring then they come out we're not going to go anywhere near the ring now we're just going to do our stuff outside and all of our gimmicky things they go through a table it's the commentary table it's right? the commentary table they go through I yeah. love that because when he's clearing the commentary table someone on commentary goes do you know what his intentions are and the other guy on commentary goes to make John Cena quit yeah, th- Thank you. I didn't realise. This is a golden era of passive-aggressive shit shite commentary. commentary. Oh my fucking God. Matt Stryker and Michael Cole bring out the worst of each other. Because Stryker's whole thing is like, ah, I know all the facts. And he'll constantly say things wrong. And then no. Michael Cole doesn't pick up on them. Because he doesn't know. He doesn't know. But then other random things, he'd be like, why would you say that? Or he, <laughs> you know, And they're not meant to be heels or faces. They're meant to be... Both good guys, in, in in essence, here. There was a point where Matt Stryker said that Batista won't be able to physically make John Cena quit. You'll have to mentally make him quit, so he can't go for a physical quit. What the fuck? What does that mean? That means nothing. It means nothing. Words, even if they're said on a wrestling broadcast, don't necessarily mean things. But yeah, Dave sends John flying and he goes slamming right through that table... 
And then we get... Oh, this is there was controversy here. Yeah. You never picked up on this before? I mean, I still don't believe it is what, what you think it is. Kevin. Because it's mad. Be serious. It's 2010, You Joe. literally see him do it. It's peak Slam City era. We can't be having this going on. Come John on. Cena blades. He takes out a razor blade, he cuts his forehead, and you see him put the razor blade back in his pants. He's fiddling with it for ages. The camera focuses right in on his pants but and his the, hand putting it in his pants. There's no blood, There though. is blood. Blood immediately comes it's out. It's not a blade. He gets a little... He's a No, grain. no. The ref immediately cleaned it up, but he... I swear to God, and if you don't concede that you weren't watching carefully enough, I will make you go back and watch it because he bleeds profusely and then the ref... Profusely. Yes, it's all down his forehead and then the ref immediately... They only cut to it for like a second. I was like, see, he's bleeding. You're like, well, they'll definitely show it again. But no, the ref had wiped it away you can see the remnants of the blood well this was the period where if there was any sight of blood yeah, they'd, they'd patch it up immediately yeah and also why would john cut himself to immediately get covered up that's pointless i don't think it's pointless at all i think it's genius because it feels more real right it's okay. way more real than a regular blade job because yeah that's what the medical team were there to do they're here to take care of any wounds i will it's, i will concede fantastic that john suspiciously was fish hooking the top end of his trousers right after I, i'm gonna I'll have to i'm gonna have to go back i will take a picture of it <laughs> of the blood all over his face i don't i think you're you're he had don't a trickle. Don't make me pause this he recording right trickle. now. Don't make me pause this recording okay. right now and show it to you because this is not fair for you to deny no. something that you weren't even looking at. Okay. You were taking notes and then I was like, he's bleeding. And you were like, yeah, 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 sure. Not continuing in this road. Yeah. John Cena bladed. He and did, he bladed. Got a crimson mask. Well, not... Let's not go that far. <laughs> he got a little blood. Got, he got quite a, a medium yeah. amount of blood. I mean, yeah, okay, yeah. Here we go. Let's shake on that. That's how couples work out medium their issues. Medium amount of blood. Very good. <laughs> I'll tell you what was wild though. When Batista and John went up into the stands mm. and the animal went flying off the balcony and safely landed on nine guys and they all went, Oh my god, almighty. It's like, you ever do the big shop, the one where you get all the cans? <laughs> well, no, I don't have And to. your hands are all wobbly and you have to very carefully put it down. That's how carefully Batista was put down. He was put down like a bag of cans. He did a Seamus drop. <laughs> yeah, backwards Seamus drop. Yeah. It was so funny. So funny, yeah. Because it was like, it was soft. so, un- why do it? Like, if you have to have that many people and it's that small a height... And like John was like looking down like he'd thrown him off a building. It's like it's well like, went it, like three feet. It's not even like obviously they wanted it to look like John pushed him, but John gave him a slight nudge, and then Batista looks behind him and then tosses himself off. It's just awful. And the fact as well that he lands on all these like security guards, very big boys, professional wrestlers. So funny. So funny. It was the safest worst bump I think we've seen all episode. It was, yeah. it was hilarious. So they battle up onto the stage and it's over the limit. And that means one thing, car-themed pay-per-view. Who needs a set when you've got graphics and one car on the ramp? Yeah, he's got a little red car. Batista getting in a little red car made me laugh so much because he was sweating profusely. It was like straight out of a video game, this. It was so funny. Especially because then when he gets in the car, evil Batista getting in the tiny red sports car and he's like, I'm going to run over John Cena. I think as well, like he doesn't go, John, I'm going to run you over. Do you quit? His plan <laughs> is to run over John Cena and then go, what do you say, John? Oh no, he's in a coma. <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and the announcers like do such a bad job of this because it's all, it's all make-believe and 
you know, silly, silly special effects. It's great because he ran backwards into a wall and the wall is covered in light. So there's an explosion. <laughs> Pyro goes off, whatever. And John is like, we think he's tangled under the tires, but we know he's Yeah, like John's escaped. nowhere there. Because <laughs> no. you can literally see he's not there. And the announcer's like, where is he? Where's he gone? But if he didn't run, he has to, if he didn't run out of the way, he'd, wow, he'd disappear. D- dead. See, John's fine. Yeah, he's absolutely fine. Cartista had nothing on John. He respawns, like, on top of the car. Both the car and Dave are extremely gassed at this point. And he's... It's so funny, because Dave's gassed from, like, being in a car. <laughs> it's like it's a lot of exercise for his body shape to, like, get into a car. He gets the AA onto the car. And then he's asked if he quits and he goes, no. And then John he gets goes, him. No! John gets him on top of the car for the AA. This is my favourite bit. So all the time before you've had like John asking Batista if he quits and he's like, no. He gets more angry. More angry and asked. screaming and Bro! stuff. And then the last time he says, no, I don't quit. John goes really smugly. He's like, I was really hoping you'd say that. I was hoping you'd say that. And he picks up Batista on his shoulders for the attitude adjustment. And just as he's about to throw him off the top of the car, Batista goes, Wait, wait, no, I, got, I quit, I quit, I quit, he's, I quit, I quit. He's waving his Batista arms around like, Literally squirming. I know I've said before how much I love when wrestlers squirm when they're being held on top by another guy. <laughs> it makes it look real, like they're trying to struggle. It's so funny. And then John just fucking throws him off the car and he falls through the ground. And it's fucking awesome. It's great. It's so good. absolute... Awful situation for a wrestler where he takes a bump that for all the audience they look at this and they see the kind of the you know they, they see it's clearly fake and gimmicked and all that. Yeah, it's one of those things where you're like fake. Yeah, but when you see it, it looks spectacular because of the height. He yeah, goes fucking looks really away. cool. He goes he, John throws him so high. He, up. Spin, he literally spins yeah. like he's been fucking thrown out of orbit or something. But the problem is, is that. And you see it from that zoomed out angle at the end. It's so funny that the announcers say nothing. Like they've seen like some great tragedy unfold. Like, oh, don't say anything. Let, let it speak for itself, you know. But when you see it from the zoomed out angle, you can tell that he kind of hit the corner of yeah. it. And he did, in fact, he fucked up his tailbone. Oh, so he got another injury here. No. And the only reason I was confident that he... Because we were wondering, oh, is he working this because he's leaving and he wants to say he's an injury. Because he always says that this is the spot that like broke his back. Yeah, and you can... Because the camera... He's not, the, he's not on the camera when you see this zoomed out shot and you can just see him go like wincing in agony yeah. and he did hit the kind of the corner of one of the kind of the, the, the struts beams, on the side yeah. of the beams so yeah you know talk about going out in the silliest way possible this match I feel you can't talk about and can't put a bow on it without talking about what happens after the fact the next night on Raw him in a wheelchair. Oh, uh, yeah. So maybe we'll talk about that before we get to your rating. I don't know, but Batista coming out in a wheelchair, covered in bruises, screaming that this company is going to go out of business because he's going to leave. And all you fans are going to be so bored. There'll be no one in the arenas. This company will be bankrupt without me. The only thing that makes this whole thing better is that the thing that pushes him over the edge is Bret Hart be like, Dave Batista... You've got to wrestle tonight, even though you're crippled. <laughs> and he's like, I won't do that, Bret Hart, I quit. Great stuff. It's so good. What a perfect ending for a villain. Like the JBL finish where yeah. he's like, I quit. And this is up there with that. It's so perfect. But that match, Joe, I mean, it is so silly and there's no gore and it's all very safe. And the bits no that are, gore. there's goofiness, yep. abundant goofiness. And there's, 
honestly, if you're looking there and you see it, like there's a quite at ease, funny Batista behind the scenes here. What, what's your? I don't know what your rating is going to be for this. <laughs> I am not the biggest fan of I Quit matches, and especially with John Cena, because obviously he doesn't quit ever. That's you, you his whole thing. Did like his one with JBL though, if I recall. Yeah, that was yeah. very extreme. I think the the Miz Alex Riley one from very early yeah, days tainted my views. Hangs over. And this match was too long, which again I find is an issue with the I Quit matches. Yeah, they often yeah. go on way too long. But it did have a lot of really fun spots. And I just fucking love this era of Batista being a really nasty heel. He's so confident here. Is this your favourite version of Batista? Because it is easily my favourite. This and like very early, like the, the Batista you see who turns on Triple H and this Batista are untouchable in my I opinion. I don't have a favourite Batista, I think. Yeah. I just, I love so many different parts of his character development he's got he's got a lot of range yeah he has a lot more range than dare i say randy or john have oh yeah randy and john have like amped up different elements of their personality you know randy has been faced he's been healed but he's always still the cool calm collected mm-hmm. randy whereas this batista here he's evil yeah like the, compare him to the cool dude who's like kind of playing head games and passive aggressively hitting hunter on the pack every time you know he's kind of one up on him and this guy who's like, I quit, I quit, I quit. Like the guy in the wheelchair versus the guy with the two contracts doing the thumbs up, thumbs down. How's that the same guy? Yeah. It's only four years apart. So that's range. Yeah, absolutely. So I gave this a moderate three and a half stars. Very nice. Out of five. And I think that was very fair. It was very fair. Very generous. So what's Batista going to do once he leaves the WWE? Well, Batista decides the best thing for him, he's going to pursue acting. And something that I didn't know about this was like, he had done a few bits of acting already. Because mm. if you were a top guy in WWE, you were going to get a few roles here or there. And lo and behold, when Joe was looking up, yes, he's been on Chuck. Yep. <laughs> yes, he's been on Smallville. Mm. And these are all the types of roles that when Dave said he was leaving to become an actor, I was like, he'll be doing more of that then. Hopefully Chuck will get some webisodes with Batista's character in it. Hey, maybe Batista can become a secret agent next. Yeah, like, everyone else everyone has done it. Everyone did, yeah. like, ridiculous. So, the bit in his documentary, one of the more recent ones, where he was like, man, I watched back some of those old things I did, and I was just like, I've become the thing that I hated. I used to make fun of all these absolute suck-ass lame actors who so bad, so horrible. And I'd watch myself in Smallville, and I'd be like, you're so bad <laughs> why am i so bad and like he was like you know so fucking down in the dumps about his skills and it was actually on maven's youtube channel we were watching he mentioned how like he had a friend who was going out with stacy keebler mm. and he was like a kind of a jobbing actor he did you know stuff for like you know, ncis and you know all that and but as soon as batista met him even though batista was a big star all he wanted to be was like can you give me tips for like acting who, who what should i do how do i get better so batista took it mad seriously he mm. wanted to get better he wanted to you know become a decent actor and yeah. not just be a big hunk of muscle I think a lot of people, like myself, maybe wrongly assumed, ah, the guy's got charisma, he had great range in WWE, he's going to pop over and kick ass in Hollywood. I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy came out in like 2015, wasn't it? Yeah, so he did pretty well. That's five years between when he left and when he got it. And the first one that he got was like King of the Iron Fist or something like that, kind of a martial arts movie. And he was good in it, Mm. but he wasn't great. And he, you know, he did one movie and then like, a year and a half went by and he did another movie and another year and a half went by and he got like a small film and all of a sudden like yeah it's actually not working out for him that well to be an actor because he can't get enough work and he's always doing 
you know, auditions and he's always in the running for stuff and he just can't get the jobs. And this is around the time, isn't it, where he went basically bankrupt, didn't he? Because he had like a massive tax bill. So he hadn't been doing his taxes properly while he was in WWE, you know, independent contractor and all that jazz. And I'm not sure if you can chalk it up because I think it'd be a bit reductive to be like, oh, because of his background, you grow up poor, ergo, you know, he had problems with his money and all that. Mm. You know, I think that might be a bit presumptive of us. But like, we watched a lot of his kind of lifestyle type videos from when he was on top and this dude was spending hand over fist in a big mansion like his fancy cars the thing with the car that he bought for angie was made my head spin he is very generous bless him he likes to spend frivolously on the people he loves it's something that he values very highly and yeah he bought this special car for angie and then he like did loads of work on it you gotta customize yeah spent loads of money on getting it like i love this car done up and things (laughs) and then when they divorced he she was just gonna sell the car because she was like yeah it's nice and all but i don't i don't really need it so he bought it off her again bought the same car twice (laughs) yeah fucking hell he probably gave her a good price for it as well oh of course he did but yeah he was in this weird situation where the irs had like a lien against his house so like he was basically bankrupt but he couldn't sell his house yet Mm. and he was pretty much at rock bottom and his return to WWE in 2014, I realized at this point now, was less about kind of, ah, one last hurrah, I'm going to come back. You know, it's been a while. Let's go have you know, the kind of the, the victory lap or whatever it is. It was more kind of like, yeah, shit, like if this acting thing doesn't work out and it looks like it's not working out, you don't mm-hmm. have enough money coming in, you are broke, then you're going to have to go back into wrestling. And I think that's why that 2014 return, his heart's not really in it. Mm. Folks, if you are in any way remotely anxious as Dave Batista is, for the love of God, do not watch WWE 24, the day of the Royal Rumble 2014. I had seen it before, and it was Adam who actually reminded us about it. Jesus Christ, I'm actually getting fucking nervous even talking about it. Do you want to talk about the most stressful, worst day ever in a wrestler's life? It's documented with Batista's return to WWE for the Royal Rumble. A year where Daniel Bryan, everyone thought was going to come in number 30. He didn't. Everyone booed. Batista got the flack because he was the guy coming back, stealing the spot. He didn't even know who that Bryan was like a top guy at the time. Yeah. Like, he, he, he wasn't even watching the product. He wasn't in shape. What do you mean? He's friends with Triple H. Obviously, he booked the show. Oh, man. He came back thinking he was going to get a hero's welcome and everyone's mm. booing him out the building. And, like, the day of... Like, everything that can go wrong does go wrong. He's in bad shape. He's already, like, so hard on himself because he's like, oh, I can't wait to see how I screw this up. And if it doesn't go well, I'll totally beat myself up about it. He's kind of coming back with his tail between his legs. He is, Because he's broke. You know, that's kind of what... I always thought it's like, oh, it's just the way of expectation... I'm worried about this part of me, but this is kind of do or die for him in many respects. And he's so like traumatized by the Royal Rumble where everything went wrong. Yeah, with with, with John the, and Vince. Yeah, yeah. So and so he keeps thinking about that over and over again. He's like, God, just all the ways that something can go horribly, horribly wrong. The tights and the shoes. Yeah. Things that you take for granted in wrestling. Every wrestler, you travel with your boots. You've got your gear. It's all ready to go all the time. Easy peasy, right? That shouldn't be a worry. You think? He's like 20. They're like counting down. It's like number 20. He's 28. Number 22 is coming out to the ring. And he stood there with her and be like, are my pants ready yet? Are they Are they done? Because he, he felt self-conscious about his body and he didn't want muffin tops. So he wanted to wear shorts instead. She, but they pinch his legs and they make his legs. She does leg. not help matters. I she was is, shocked by this. 
yes. fucking cruel. The and seamstress this, who's this usually, is, yeah. yeah. This is not Sandra Gray. No, no, it's a different this lady. a different person. We don't know the, her name. But there's just, I don't know if she meant it as a joke or what, but you it came across kind of fat there, extremely Dave. hurtful. She says, why are you so soft? And she slaps his leg. And it's just like, ouch. And that's the point where they realise that the shorts are cut wrong and they give him kind of like his legs, look at they've got muffin top now. And then he's getting them sorted out. And, and like, already the- he mentioned like when he arrived, he was like, oh, I'm really self-conscious because my ring gear is just like a small pair of pants and I just don't feel very good about my body right now. And he's then there's smaller this than he was. He woman still looks amazing. Saying, like, you know? Oh yeah, he looks incredible. It's absurd. But yeah, he, he's got this seamstress being like, oh yeah, you're, you're fat now. You're out of shape. And he's, he's just like, already he's thinking that way. He's injured his ankle in training first because he didn't kind of get enough time to get into shape and get into ring shape, so to speak. So he's really worried about getting blown up and he does get blown up in the match he gets gassed like, yeah. immediately he also thinks that no one will remember him he's like you know i was only a wrestler for a short yes. time so when oh i come out i just God. hope they know who i am yeah, people, who's this bold man yeah and because of his ankle having been taped up so much and they have to put like a splint in it he bursts out of his shoes mm-hmm. his shoes literally split at the seams they have to sew him into the shoe so because of all this is happening he's all stressed out he doesn't get a chance to warm up so like when he's running to the ring he looks like he's fucking running like to his throw up. Yeah, yeah he looks the most anxious I've ever seen him and that's so sad to go from that moment where 2010 it's like dude you're fucking leaving the whole world's ahead of you you've just like had a perfect end to your great little career there you've you've went in and out you got into the business and got out better than anyone could hope you could yeah. and now here he is feeling like oh no I'm back in OVW and I'm the yeah. Leviathan and everyone's making fun of me like he's just lost it all immediately and then just as he's supposed to go out to the ring he gets lost he backstage because it's all changed you wouldn't mind as well where like I hate this about WWE 24 where it's like you've got fucking 10 cameras on you when you're fucking taking a piss you're walking down the hall you're doing everything no one would think to tell this lad this lad is making seven figures who's having a fucking panic attack hey go that way by the oh, way if you are a documentarian that's like one of your founding principles that you do not interact with you don't oh you, you shouldn't influence the truth that would be I'd be like at the last season of The Office I'd be putting it down yeah, like, I know Dave no you gotta go this yeah, way give him a little gorilla positions that way you're the animal don't forget yeah, it you're like. the best come on and then they get fired yeah you get fired you know? yeah and then Joe gets worried that I'm in a relationship with Dave and it gives a little bit Aww. of attention for our relationship in the last season when everything is actually yeah. okay one thing I thought was really nice you know considering how nervous he is um he's such an anxious man bless him he makes time to say hello to every yeah. single person like and I'm not talking just performers like normally in these documentaries you see a lot of big names backstage like oh it's Shawn Michaels yeah, or it's yeah. The Undertaker and they're all saying hi and shaking hands he does that but it's it's inverted commas the little guys it's the camera crew it's yeah. the producers the writers people who work in marketing he knows all their names he goes and makes an effort to shake every single person's hand it's very rare that you see wrestlers taking the time when they come back to talk to people you don't know yeah because <laughs> it's usually like oh look it's yeah it's, it's the, the big the stars, big, big stars but no, he's, he, he says hello to absolutely everyone he passes so this whole situation is returned it was like yeah you're gonna come back in the rumble you're gonna win the rumble you're gonna face randy orton at wrestlemania and it's gonna be like a real good feeling the two members of evolution a face off in the main event and he's been booed out the build and then he does kind of like try and turn a little bit heel but like he just looks mortified when he wins the royal rumble he's like what have i done like i shouldn't it shouldn't be me like why are they all chatting for someone else and i will say his pivot from that into let's 
you know, he he becomes a, he's a very much a team player in this late stage idea to like make it about Daniel Bryan. They do the thing where Bryan gets into the triple threat with him and Orton at WrestleMania if he can be Triple H. Yeah, because I actually quite liked that when he won the Rumble and everyone's booing him and chanting Daniel Bryan, he does the little he yes, the yes chant. Thing, yeah. So it is almost like planting the seeds for an actual heel run. They try and force it as a face initially. Like they give him a match with like Del Rio at the next pay per view, and they try and have him like you know be like, hey, you know, I'm going to do it and all that. And it's just so great though. His instincts were right, yes. even if the company didn't quite get on board. And his instincts were right, and then they do a hard turn. He literally does a promo where he's like, I won the Royal Rumble. Deal with it, <laughs> you know. And that was you know. Then the big sunglasses come back, and it's all off to the races and I thought it was so fucking cool that in that main event at that Wrestlemania he's the guy who tapped out to Brian I think you know, he was very much like this guy coming back you were meant to have a big main event at Wrestlemania have a nice fucking victory lap feel good about yourself go out on top and he's like nah I'll be number three in this match with two more popular guys I'll lose and what little bit of nostalgia or whatever it is he had there he used to fuel someone else yeah and it's very different to how, like, he didn't groom Daniel Bryan for no. great. No, he just saw an opportunity, saw what was best for the greater good. And I think that's like, I had so much respect for him at that yeah. point. And I do feel like a lot of wrestling fans look back at that 2014 period and how they shat on him so harshly. Wasn't his fault. It's a fucking vicious time. Seriously, like, the, the days of hijacking were shows. So cruel back then. I know, and it's so funny that the last person he's in the ring with in that rumble is Roman Reigns. Yeah. No cheering for him. The following oh, year, yeah. Boo and Roman at the villain. It's like, what do you want? Calling him a wank <laughs> pheasant and stuff. It's like, yeah, the fans just cannot be appeased. He tells a story about like when he finally gets the call about Guardians for the Galaxy. And he literally like breaks down t- in tears. Like his, his manager rings him and he's like expecting, oh, all right, you're going to be told I don't get it. Because I didn't realize this. You don't just audition. It was like a six month process. Oh yeah, you do screen Auditions, tests. Screen tests. Chemistry tests. Chemistry yeah. tests. It's really important. You get scanned. For, for something that they think will be a franchise, especially, they want to make sure that yeah. you'll have a long term chemistry with these people. And like it's even stuff like meeting with like the toy makers, wow. the, 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 the special effects people, like, can we make him look like the character, like does the special effects work on him? Does the, the, the costume and all that work on him? And it's easy to say, like, you know, because he, he admits it, like it's like Guardians of the Galaxy, that's when I became a working actor. That's when I went from being like a guy just spending hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to audition for things to like there is work and there's been work nonstop ever since. Mm. I think a lot of folks, I think it's Kieran Culkin, he did his Hot Ones thing and he's a, you know, he's a wrestling fan and he did a lot of media around the time of the succession finale and he was like, yeah, I know something, you know, Batista's just, like, just kind of a guy and he had no charisma. He's just kind of a guy and he was there. And then when he did Guardians of the Galaxy, it was like, whoa, where was this guy? And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, someone wasn't watching in 2009 or 10. Not that I blame you. Yeah. But like what he did in Guardians of the Galaxy, I remember when I saw that movie with you, I was like, this is the fucking funny guy who like, I I, I knew, I knew this Batista. This yeah. wasn't, didn't blow my mind the sense of like, I never knew he could do this. I was just like, I never thought that a film would think to utilize the side of him. He has an imposing figure. He has a great intensity, but he's got impeccable comic timing. Yeah, he does. And he is, he manages to look terrifying, but he's also very cute. Yeah. And I think, you know, to become a Marvel star, that's way bigger than being a WWE star. Oh, yeah. That's, you know, you want to talk about like a job for life. Like, you know, that guy can hit, if if he never worked again, he could hit the conventions and do very, very well for himself. I think his acting career has just been, from strength to strength Mm. and it's just always been like I'm always excited to see him in something he's really invested in himself he hired an acting coach who actually looked up oh yeah because he'd mentioned an acting coach a few times because he wanted to actually just 
get better and not be the guy who's stumbling over his words or doing wooden performances anymore. Yeah, I looked him up and he actually, he's, he's a very prestigious actor in his own right. It's like, he does mainly voice acting, but he has done a bunch of actual movies and TV shows as well. But yeah, yeah. just mentioning for your sake, mm. he did the voice in an anime that we like to watch, yeah. Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Yeah. Where he actually, Batista's acting coach played the role of Zeppeli. Wow. So cool. Sorry, because Batista's got a big Jonathan Joestar he does. energy. He's a yeah. big, strong himbo, silent mm-hmm. type, and Zeppeli was his mentor yeah. and coach, so... It worked so well. Very fucking good. And actually, it's funny you say that he's like <laughs> a Jojo because you at one point said that he's like Kazuma Kiryu from the Yakuza games because he is, because he's yeah. such a himbo. I think he's like Saijima in visually. He visually looks yeah. like Saijima, but in terms of personality, he's he's very intimidating looking. He's very handsome. People always like Kiryu, assume he's a horrible badass, but he's actually he's very gentle him. and he's actually very wise. Yeah. And they've got the same tattoo. That's very cool. Well, Dave, there's always a spot in the Tojo clan of Hollywood doesn't yeah. work out for you, you know. But I think every time I see him in a movie, I'm like, I'm always happy to see him there. I think he, even in movies that aren't great, I think he stands out very, very well. I think the first time where I saw him in something where I thought, okay, he's not just going to be kind of a bit character actor, even though that's a great role for him. You know, but like when he was in Blade Runner, I thought he was really, like a small role, but he was really good in that. Have you seen him in James Bond? I've not seen that one yet. <gasps> I will he's, see though. He's really, he's the best thing in that one. Yearly summer bonding on yeah. Cinema Swirl. We're doing reverse swirl because I hadn't seen any of the Daniel Craig Bonds. So mm. he's, he's coming up there. I'm very excited for that. He's very, very good. But it was Billy who got us on to seeing uh, Knock at the Door. Yeah, and, the M. Night Shyamalan movie. Yeah, and like, the movie itself is, is fine. It's not like outstanding. It's very good. But he he's is great. incredible. And he's a proper lead role in it. And mm. he is just... He's captivating. Yeah. I don't know. I, it's... When you can't even figure out what it is about the performance that affects you so much. But there is, like... He's tapped into that sadness inside him. And it just... Through those eyes, For man. me, what I loved about his role in that movie was that he plays such a big... He's kind of presented in the, in the movie as being almost the villain. Because he's so big and scary looking. Yes. And then you see how scared he is. And it's like, it's almost like when you see your parents get scared of something for the first time, it's like, shit, well, if he's scared, how bad can it really be? It's like, makes you feel it all the more. And yeah, he's fantastic in that film. I just think that he has low-key become the most successful actor who was a wrestler. I think he's definitely got the most potential out of like John Cena, The Rock, and Batista. I think he's got the most skill and I think he cares the most about being successful as an actor rather than That's a it. wrestler who's become an actor. Like John is amazing at what he does, but I think John is like kind of he feels like I just can't unsee him being like peacekeeper with the fucking helmet and all that. Like he's a great brand guy. That's it. You know, you, you watch The Rock's movies and it's The Rock in a movie. You watch John Cena's movies and it's John Cena in the movie. You watch Batista movies and it's, it's whatever it's character he's playing. That's yeah. it. And that's why he is a true actor. I've made the very bold claim on our Patreon recently with you that I think that within five years Batista will uh, will yeah. get an Oscar nod. That's that's my wild theory. And because... I said you're wrong. I know. Hold you to that. Yeah. Hold you to that. Yeah, we shook know. on it and everything. I think we we have a, a, a wager of some sort. Can't remember what yeah, was. Yeah, I can't remember what it was. But yeah, I just I think we've had a lot of tweets from people who are like, he's had the career that The Rock wishes he had, and I think there is a humility about Batista that doesn't exist with The Rock or John Cena, yeah. and that is why he's so good. Because 
he's not sitting down with a big binder from all of his consultants about mm. how he fits into the Marvel Universe. Yeah. He's not doing special brand fucking guidelines about how his tequila might work with the new Black Adam movie. You know, he's not viewing it as a business. He's not viewing it yeah. as an industry. He's viewing it as an art form. Yeah. He cares a lot about the process of acting. He speaks of it in very kind of... He has a respect for it in the way that he has a respect for like the wrestling, the old yeah. school mentality. And I think that's really cool to see. I think John and The Rock both approach the movie business in this very like... I don't know, industrialized yes, way. Absolutely. It's about like what's gonna make the billions. Yeah, the and metrics. That's that's, that's yeah. fine, but I think Batista doesn't care about the zeros, he cares about He wants to watch back his performances and be proud of it. But like after Drax, you could have had him as like big alien in a million different movies. Oh yeah, but he said he didn't that's not what he wanted. He and, specifically you know, said he doesn't want to do that type of stuff anymore. And I think it's really like you you could and it would pay you very very well. Oh my god, absolutely. But yeah, yeah I compare the difference between him and like John Cena and The Rock is to me it's like the difference between Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone. You watch a movie with Arnie in and you're always aware it's Arnie. He's good, like fun definitely and you know a great brand. But Sylvester Stallone, you can watch him in a movie and he just transforms into Rocky there's or a, there's whoever else. There's a bit of heart there, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I think there is a distinction. And, like, it's for the love of it, I think. And, I, you know, it's, it's very easy to say when someone's so so celebrated and so popular and so widespread. But it, it is. It comes off that way. That is for, for the love of it. Much in the case of his, like, his final return for his last match, this man, despite being one of the most iconic well-known well-respected and you know most notoriety of any actor at that time he had to lobby hard to come back to wwe for that last run do you know what shit that's not the only thing he had to lobby for as well because he actually had a genius idea which got shot down when he did guardians of the galaxy he pitched to wwe specifically to triple h and stephanie he was like we should do a crossover because guardians of the galaxy is huge among the nerds wrestling is huge among the nerds it would be a fantastic crossover you know i'll happily use it to promote wrestling blade trinity is still kind of fresh in everyone's minds they literally laughed laughed in his face yeah like just just like what a joke that would be imagine if we did that but yeah he idiots who fucking burn money he was literally being interviewed about like fucking proper actual movies you know yeah and people would ask him and he would go out of his way to talk about wrestling be like i want to come back i want to come back to one last match with triple h and he's literally like calling out triple h on the fucking hollywood red carpet like it's so beneath you but the rock would never do that but he wanted to because i think he wanted to have a little bow on the story yeah i think so and i think also he He's a nice guy and he wants to help people who helped him. And I think he always does want to give back. He's a generous person. And it's kind of shit, but the actual thing that made him come back in the end was he literally did a, a statement where it's like, if I don't come back in this year, which is like 20, it was going into 2019. It's like, if I don't come back now, I'll never come back. Like, Jeez. this is the last year I can physically do it. Yeah. And, you know, this is the point where his schedule must have been so jam-packed. And he's literally saying, like, I'm going to turn down probably millions of dollars for doing a movie to go and do a road to WrestleMania mm-hmm. and have that match with Triple H. And that is, like, you know, the hand was forced. And I, it doesn't feel like a fully wholehearted embrace from WWE to take him back or whatever. It felt like they were doing it to be like, all right, we'll finish this up or whatever it was. What is it that's... about his skyrocketing popularity that usually when someone gets popular that they want to fucking sink their no. fangs into them and suck all the juice out? I agree that they should do that, but they don't. I don't think they do that at all. Because they lost their control of him. Yeah, is that it? absolutely. He's found his found a new home. Wrestling, I do believe, especially in WWE, preys on 
you're part of this family. Yeah. This is our thing. You're, you're here. Yeah, not an outsider. Even if you are an insider, once you leave, you're an outsider. <laughs> oh, I think, you know, the fact that even Hulk Hogan, when he became a Hollywood star... In inverted commas. ...was still a little bit ostracised when he came back. That's true, yeah. I think Batista's return was... It was a uh, easy term guilty pleasure at the start, but Adam was telling me like a while ago that like that that match they had at WrestleMania, which we reviewed it on our Patreon, and we didn't have nice things to say about it because it is two old lads going through the greatest hits, working around a nose ring that they yank out at the end. But Adam says he can watch that match any day. He loves really? it because of how dumb and stupid it is. <laughs> Give me what I want. Give me what I want. I do love the promo. That's the, so the, funny. The promo that went wrong. <laughs> Because he forgot what he wanted, which was he wanted the match. And Triple H is like, Dave, you big idiot. What is it what you want? Say the line. Give me what I want. One. Give, Give it me to me. Want. Give me what I want. And the spit just flares everywhere. Just in a loop of saying that one line. It's so funny. <laughs> I love when he comes out he go, for the match. He comes out in the big fucking SUV with all the bodyguards. <laughs> I love that he slips when he's coming into the ring. And I love that he pulled out his nose ring. Yeah, that it was, was great. It was great. And it was a fitting end to his WWE story. When I told our illustrator, Dan, that we were doing an episode on Batista, that promo is what I sent Dan. And we were in tears watching it. Like, he couldn't get over the fact that, like, it's just knowing, I think it is much funnier knowing that it went wrong. Yes. Because it's great. It's a great promo anyway. You wouldn't necessarily you wouldn't, I, know. I didn't tell yeah. at the time. I just thought he was being silly. <laughs> but knowing that it went wrong and they're kind of going with it makes it so much better. It's so funny. Yeah, I think what really emphasizes for me his weird legacy in WWE is the Hall of Fame question. Oh, God. Now, I think the Hall of Fame is like, you know, there's a million Halls of Fame. Hall, halls of Fames is like attorneys general, I'm not sure, but mm. there's a million places that could lay their claim as being like a Hall of Fame where this one's legitimate and that one's not legitimate. And, you know, oh, why would you want to be in this WWE one because this guy's in here and this guy's not or she's in here and she's not. There's like a million reasons everyone always has to discredit or credit it. I don't think it's the be-all and end-all, but I always say if it's important to you as a performer... Then, then it becomes important. Yes. You know, like if you, the fans, don't think it's important that like fucking Stacey Keebler went into the Hall of Fame, it doesn't matter. Was it important to her? Did yeah. she think she's earned it? She, I agree. Is it, then it's important. Yeah. The end. It's not ranking, but wrestling fans can't view a whole thing without all the individual elements in it. It all has so to make dumb. sense. So dumb. It's, it's a fucking kayfabe award ceremony. I know. It's just, you know. This is literally for the wrestlers. Thanks for coming. That's yeah. what it is. There you go. You know, It's, it's, it's the <laughs> retirement watch equivalent. Like. Or, yeah, or it could be like as Honky Tonk Man said, which is like, got a $15 plaque, got a good dinner, they gave me my hotel room, and I left a fucking plaque in there when I left. Yeah. Man. <laughs> like, you know, it, it can be that as well. Whatever. So, <laughs> Batista was announced for the 2020 Hall of Fame. And that was in, like, January or February of 2020. Then, that March, COVID hit. We had the lockdown. That WrestleMania was, if you, you know, we re-reviewed it on our Patreon, and let's say it was a very unique WrestleMania. Mm. But they decided that year they couldn't do the Hall of Fame. They were deferring it. So, in 2021, they were going to do all the people from that year and the year prior. They were all going to merge together in one super class. But Dave couldn't do it then because he was filming and he was in South Africa. And then 2022 happened, and 2023 happened. On both of those occasions, he was apparently also filming. Mm. So Batista is announced for the Hall of Fame, but he's still not in there. And just for me, like the to circle around to what I was saying at the start about why like people almost don't view him 
exclusively as a, a guy who was a wrestler now he's just this other entity this mm. kind of entertainer and this actor is that no one seems to really care no like i'm a I think a lot of people think he's in the Hall of Fame. I know. I mean, I had to do quite a bit of digging to actually find out that he's definitely not in there. Yeah. But, like, it's very strange. He's not on their website, but the announcements are still there, archived. Mm. So I'm sure he'll go in at some point. Yeah. I kind of feel like it's at this point now where, I don't know, do you ever, like, have a put off, like, doing, like, a, oh, we were meant to do this thing. Oh, we'll do a rain check. And mm. then you rain check again. And all of a sudden, it becomes, like, a thing, and it's kind of awkward. Yeah, I get that. I think by the time Batiste actually goes into the Hall of Fame, it'll be about how he's not been in the Hall of Fame, and he should have been in for, like, looking at my watch now, it's been, like, four years. Mm. That's weird, right? If they really wanted him, they would have done something. And if he... I think he's he so really busy. wanted it, right? Like... I think he's done, is he? I don't know. I'm sure he'll do it at some point when he's yeah. got... A, there'll be a period of time where... He's not working, and I think it's sensible of him to work while the sun shines. That's yeah, make make that hay because as they it say. is an irrelevant award ceremony that doesn't yeah. really mean anything. But I think yeah, to the to the point of it's just it's a bit odd, isn't it? Yeah. And I think when you look at Dave's legacy overall, it is a little bit odd. Mm. He had a huge impact when he was there. But I don't feel like, you know, when they're listing off all the legendary names when they want to hype up the nostalgia now, I don't think they mention Dave. He's kind of... It's John Cena and Randy Orton are the names from that era. Like, I just think of that recent press conference where they tried to, like, sweep under all the bad news under the rug. Mm. And they're like, it's a new company, it's a new era. There was Hogan and Savage. There was Sean and Brett. There was The Rock and Stone Cold. There was John and Randy. And, you know, and and then he mentioned a bunch of other names from the Attitude Era. But, like, Dave isn't part of that group. It's weird, but I think that he's a really fun part of wrestling's history. And if you grew up with them, like I can see why he would absolutely be a kid's fucking favorite oh, wrestler. Yeah. I think he is from a bygone era, though. And particularly watching these matches with you, it really did show me how the main event expectations have definitely changed a lot over the years. Mm. And I think what's really interesting about him is that I don't think there's ever been anyone we've done an episode on where it's been so easy to like readily find oven-baked content of <laughs> Dave Batista being extremely open. Yeah. I mean, I think it's obviously the Hollywood aspect of it, but he's lent into that kind of slight vulnerability, whether it's talking about his lunchbox collection or lowriders or his love of dogs. There's infinite content in videos out there. He is very, very open. He's a very open book to, to the point which like, I'm even still surprised. I knew going in that he was kind of mm. open and somewhat vulnerable. But I think there was something we rewatched that we'd watched previously that really emphasized that. Yeah, because I think you're right. Like we could compare him to The Rock, but The Rock is such a weirdo. And same with John Cena. Like they're, they're very private. I'm that, I, I don't think The Rock is... Nah. He's not... I don't say he's not vulnerable or whatever it is, but he's just... He's a brand. He's a brand. That's yeah. it. Like, I can't imagine The Rock telling me about a lunchbox collection. <laughs> me not thinking there's something really weird and wrong yeah, with him. like he's trying to sell you a lunchbox. But Batista, it's like, oh, And that could just be good PR. I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe. But I don't know. He's more in control of his narrative than The Rock, who seems to be constantly trying to control us at all times <laughs> but yeah we watched running wild with bear grills because we watched it a few years back and it was when i kind of didn't really know much about batista and it's what made me first fall in love with him to be honest because if you're not familiar with bear grills survival shows he basically goes out into the middle of nowhere and like survives for an amount of time and this series is one where he takes like a celebrity with him yeah. the famous episode from that is he took obama out from- well the one we saw was obviously with dave batista and it was so cute because 
Dave is such a city boy. He's like so frightened of the outdoors. Like you said earlier on, like talking about his training and how Jim Cornette, when he had to do the Leviathan gimmick, he had to come out of a river and they were scared of leeches. There's no rivers in DC. Yeah, he's genuinely like not comfortable in the outdoors. He said himself at one point, I have never been outside. I mean, it's funny because you and I, even though we live in a city now and we have lived in various cities over the year, even towns alluding to being cities like the great city of Lincoln in the United Kingdom, (laughs) but like we both have grown up in the countryside. So Mm. like seeing a wild animal or whatever it is, or even a domesticated animal no big deal at all like i remember like from being a teacher and taking like kids out on field trips and they'd see like a sheep and they'd fucking freak and they'd no one like freak out be like oh my god wow they'd freak out be like oh my god it's it's a monster (laughs) i think that's like doubly so somewhere like dc because england is such a small country and to be fair, you don't have to travel very far, even from within a, the middle of a city. To yeah, to be out in the rural get to countryside, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas somewhere like DC, you do actually have to travel quite a fair distance. Well, I remember when I went to, was it Houston for WrestleMania? And like, we walked literally in one direction for like two and a half, nearly three hours. We just kept walking and walking. And it was like, you left the city and you went into this kind of outer layer of city. And then there was another, like the suburbs have been swallowed up by the city. It's just kind of endless. Yeah. So yeah, like I think... It's funny because you think about someone grow up in the city, they're all going to be super streetwise and all that. Mm. Which obviously Dave, he grew up kind of hard in many respects. But seeing him out in like, they're in the national park, like yeah. it's it's not dangerous, and he is fucking terrified. He's so scared, and it's a really interesting look. I feel at masculinity and how it presents in different ways because. Dave is immediately so intimidated and impressed by Bear Grylls, who is obviously a survival pro. Like, he can do anything. He can... can't help but show off when he does yeah. stuff. Yeah, like, he'll, will, instead of climbing down a cliff, he'll, like, run down it or whatever. Like, he can make a ladder out of a piece of wood. He can make a ladder out of his own urine. It's amazing. <laughs> he does at one point use Dave Batista's piss to start a fire. And, yeah, Batista, obviously, extremely impressed and... Also intimidate, but on the same side, you've got Bear Grylls being like, "Wow, look at you, all those big muscles. Yeah, because Very big man. There is a moment <laughs> where they need to get up a cliff face, and so Bear is like, oh, it's okay, we'll, we'll make one out of a, a log. He's like, the only trouble is, the only log we have is this massive one here. It's really heavy and dried out. And Dave just picks it up over one arm. No big deal. <laughs> but like, he doesn't see himself as a big, strong guy, Dave Batista. He sees someone like, Bear Grylls and thinks he's like the epitome of masculinity because he's so capable at like survivalism and stuff. It's almost like no one impressive male individual has got an entire claim on what it means to be an ideal masculine specimen. It's like, you know, it, there's lots of different facets to it. And mm. I felt it's nice that Dave is kind of exemplifies some of the unexpected traits of, of masculinity, yeah. even though on surface level, he definitely seems like, oh, he's just going to be a big, strong dude. And he is that, but he's there's a lot more behind the surface. Yeah. And I think the nicest thing is that they work so well as a team because it is like brains and brawn. Because you've got then Batista doing all the heavy lifting, doing the stuff that Bear can't do. But then Bear has all the, you know, the survivalism know-how and he can help Dave, like, protect himself and stuff. It's just lovely to see. Yeah, and there's obviously things that Dave knows that, you know, that Bear doesn't. For instance... Dave knows how to work fashion in a way that I don't oh think Bear could. Oh my god, Bear could never. We haven't talked about Dave Batista's fashion yet, I mean, this whole podcast could have been just exclusively about that, but we are meant to talk about wrestling and stuff related to it mostly. So it's we have to, come on, let's talk about Dave's fashion. I have described it before as like, Dave Batista has 
the taste of a teenage girl from 2003. Because <laughs> he's got the little belly button, like, tattoo with the sun around it that, like, all the girls had in, like, 2003. The nose ring, the nose the studge. He's got a tongue piercing. Come on, man. It's so funny. And all the times we see in all these documentaries, he's worn a litany of fantastic hats. Yes, and often turtlenecks as well. He does like to rock the turtlenecks. Yeah, I, I kind of cringe when I look back at the fashion of the mid-2000s, like the giant suits and the oversized sunglasses he and all works. that. It though. But if there's one man who we could send up into space and be like, aliens, this is what it meant to be a fashionista in mm. 2006. I think Batista would be the man I'd send up there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but where does Dave Batista stack up for you? Because I think a lot of people, because he's kind of like a sensitive guy and he's kind of you know outspoken about a lot of issues and he's, you know, pro-LGBT and, you know, he's, he's done a lot of good work with his platform. I think a lot of people are expecting you to become kind of one of your faves. So where does he where does he rank up for you? I do love him as a person, and it's not often I get to say that on this podcast. Normally, yeah, I'm you like, have to separate yeah, it the other way, like the other way. The character, just the character. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's really admirable what he's managed to achieve in his life, and I do like him as a performer. I don't love his wrestling style, but then I also feel it's maybe he's a victim of circumstance and that he's been booked with maybe the wrong people. Also I feel... what, what the expectation was of the time. Like, you know, yeah, he, he's a product of the time. Of the time, you know? yeah. He didn't get to have, like, you look at John Cena's matches from that time, you'd kind of roll your eyes a bit as well. That's true. That's totally true. It wasn't I did, until yeah. later when John... Got to do more fun yeah, stuff, yeah. That was when you kind of came around on him. So, yeah, that's, yeah, that's totally true. So... As a wrestler, like purely in ring, yeah, he's not one of my faves. Not to say he's bad. He's very dynamic and good at what he's doing. And he's a very interesting case study of just kind of like, hey, this is what happens when you plan something and you pull it off. Yeah, exactly. And it shows as well that like, you know, you can have all the opportunities in terms of you can look amazing, have the best body, um, work really, really hard. But... I doubt he would have achieved anywhere near the amount of success he had if he hadn't been given all those opportunities of yes. like working with Ric Flair. He had, he had the right friends. Matches with Shawn Michaels on pay-per-view within the first year of his debut. Like, it, it wasn't an underdog story by any stretch. No, and it just, it kind of reinforces this thing in my mind of like a lot of wrestling fans, not people who listen to our show so much, but I think a lot of wrestling fans buy in too much to the the narrative that's been presented to them of like, oh, so-and-so's a star because they had marketing power behind them. A lot of money went into investing into them being a star. And it's like, almost then it's like, if that investment wasn't made, they must be shit. And that's not fair at all. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't make you better just because more money was put behind you. I really, really like him as a character, but I am very happy he's an actor now because honestly, because it's his acting and wrestling I like most yeah I'm happy he gets to do more of that now outside of the ring yeah I think like what I like most about Dave as, as a as a as a performer I see outside of wrestling yeah. I'm, I'm the same as yourself yeah for sure I would love to get to see him do more diverse roles that's obviously something that's important to him because yeah. he could as you say he could play a big scary guy in all the movies and get all the money and that'd be easy but he doesn't. He does pick these challenging roles where he has to really push himself and play against kind of the stereotype of a man like him. Yeah, and I don't usually, you know, I don't usually get invested in the story of an actor. Yeah. You know, I think usually when you find out the story of an actor, it's bad. Like, yeah. I know the story of Jeremy Strong, and that's bad because yeah, there are all these articles yeah. about, like, why is he like this? Whereas, like, it's very rare I can go to the multiplex, watch a movie, and be like, I know why you're like this. Mm. And I kind of think it's, like, I feel like with Dave, I've got kind of like a, 
a secret hidden character in, in movies yeah. that it's very rare I get to go watch the screen and be like kind of oh cool I, I dig your story I know I know a lot about you as opposed to just just the performance I get to enjoy that as well so yeah. it's cool because it's like you know not everyone is meant to get into Hollywood and I would have thought his temperament and his demeanor like I would have thought if you want to go from wrestling into Hollywood you have to be like The Rock you have to be this yeah. fucking weird megastar billionaire type like, honestly I would have said the same thing about getting into wrestling that you yeah. have to be this freak but he's not he's nice normal bless him anxious shy introverted guy who just wants to stay home and work out and yeah it's just yeah it's just nice to have like it's a it's rare that you get someone where folks with lesbian mothers or people who are pro-LGBT or people who are Filipino or Greek or people who are just plain old anxious could all come together and be like, that's our guy. Yeah, he's just like <laughs> a really positive role model Yeah, in like all ways, which is nice. I don't expect that of anyone, but he is managing to do that. Well, it's time to look at some of your tweets and see what you think about the man himself, Big Dave Batista. First up from Snot Snit. He was a judge on Iron Chef, maybe in the late 2000s. Wow. And he told someone that there wasn't enough fennel in the dish. And my dad shouted, what do you know about fennel, Dave? What do you mean can't taste the fennel? And now every time my dad sees him in a movie, he says, oh, look, it's Mr. Fennel. (laughs) I can't stop thinking about that. I mean, that's going to be in my head. As a man who is working his way up to cooking with fennel for the... I used to hate fennel. Yeah, me too. And now I like fennel. Mm. And now I think I'm going to be a big, brave boy and eat some fennel that I have made and prepared for my wife, the animal will be looming over my shoulder figuratively, if not literally. (laughs) Now from OFMD Lyrics. Honestly, for me, he's in the Sid Vicious camp of wrestlers where, (laughs) as a wrestler, I just think he sucks. And I have no interest in watching just the matches for the most part. But his aura and presentation made him so cool, I couldn't help but love him. Also, get this man a rom-com. Yeah, I mean, seriously, I feel like... He's biding his time. He's he's running certain elements dry, I think, in the genres. And he's going to maybe make a venture over into that very obvious world where he will do very, very well. But yeah, it's funny because I think you've not been blown away by the matches necessarily. Mm. But I also seem to very much be of the opinion that, like, just from the wrestling stuff you, you saw, like him on the show and how he's presented at the entrance and all that... The aura was very much apparent, and it does make me... Like, the few times you've seen Sid, he's made a little bit of a, ooh, who's this big man who does one move? Like, yeah, and he also does a powerbomb as well, you know? Although, I don't think Hollywood was ready to embrace Psycho Sid the same way it did Dave Batista. <laughs> Next from Gomez VV. Asian-American son of a lesbian whose pivot to acting has utterly embarrassed the rocks. This is the wrestler liberals want. <laughs> Now from Paul D. Watts, it's funny that he seems naturally to be what The Rock tries to be. A well-respected actor who comes across as genuine, humble, and kind while still being a legitimate badass. The real people's champion. But like, here's the thing, and I hate to keep harping on about the comparisons with The Rock, but I think, you know, from the tweets, like, you know, we don't want to be repeating ourselves here, but it's it's something that people are very readily wanting to talk about. I think mainly because of The Rock's return, where we're recording this in kind of early 2024. But like for me, if you want to come across as humble, which is an odd thing to want to come across as because that feels like kind of counterproductive. Yeah. But I've never heard Dave talk about being humble. Whereas The Rock is always talking about humility and gratitude and being humble and being only $7. Like Batista legitimately comes from nothing compared to The Rock where like, yeah, you had $7 in your pocket and a phone number for your famous dad, your famous granddad and your famous mom. And I think he had a lot of, you know, 
the lad he's telling you about how humble he is and how he's come from nothing all the time is the guy who you probably should not take that at face value because people who are genuinely humble don't go on about it. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Next from Mick M90. I can imagine Joe going around the house miming the turret firing. One of the coolest entrances in wrestling, yes. preceding one of the most underrated big men in wrestling. Explosive, charismatic, and always a joy to see. Got all the time in the world for Big Dave. Fuck yeah. Uh, I don't know if Joe's been doing it, but I, I can tell you. You have, that's you good. You've I do it for the deep squats. The deep squats. It's really good for your hips, yeah, your legs. The, the thing you need to do then afterwards is you need to close your eyes and beat your chest and then do the big boom. I just wish we had pyro in this house. Yeah. I know like we've had to cut the budget and all that, but I really wish we had Pyro just for, for the last week alone at least. Next year maybe we maybe. can fit it in the budget. Maybe. Now from Fact Me Zaddy, Dave chooses roles that are complex, varied and challenging. From gifted comedy turns to more introspective, illuminating character studies, you can tell that he loves his craft and works to improve every time. And the fact that I'm talking about Batista is almost surreal. Yeah, I, I, I like, as someone who, like, you know, I clearly enjoyed him when I was younger, even if I was kind of embarrassed to admit it or whatever, but no one, no one would have guessed. You know, I, I almost felt like it went without saying, but it, we should probably say it as we're rounding off here. No one would have guessed no. the man would have had the career that he had in wrestling or in Hollywood and both. Yeah. That's, that's wow, that, that's a success it's story incredible. and then some, you know? Now from Brana Van Can. He's also the most memed wrestler, it feels like, because of how unintentionally funny he can be at times. Basketballs don't hold grudges. Yay! Weapons are not only encouraged, they're, they're allowed. allowed. Yeah! And so on. Bless the big man. Also best wrestler to actor ever. Yeah, I think so. I think that he was probably the wrestler who was memed the most as he was an active wrestler. I feel like John kind of retrospectively, or in the later half of his career, had this super surge. Like I think a lot of people know John Cena... John Cena's like the limit of wrestling. More people know him <laughs> being a meme than they know yeah. who's actually what he's been doing, you know? But yeah, Batista, I felt bad for him a lot during that period, but he came out the other side shining. He did, yeah. Finally now from Right Nav. Batista was someone who made the most out of what limited in-ring ability he had. He also knew how to portray himself as a big man. It's sad that he left the full-time WWE roster just when he was getting over huge as a heel. He could have been an all-time great bad guy. I mean... I wonder though that that last year that that great heel run that we were so fond of part of the reason why it's so great is that it was a kind of brief window you know and I feel anything that goes on too long whisper it in 2024 like Roman Reigns which we we're also big fans of but anything can go on slightly too long and I think mm. the longer something goes on the more risk you have of it not being remembered as as greatly as it was and I think a lot of times when it's like injury and stuff like that that kind of cut stuff short like I think of Stone Cold Steve Austin I remember being like literally in tears as a kid when he had to go down for as long as he was with a neck injury but having revisited that period it's like well what were you going to get instead six months of diminishing returns mm -hmm. he actually whether it was realizing it himself or it just being purely fortunate he picked a time to leave when people were like I think that's really what helped his his kind of standing and his legacy when you go out on like the best bit of your career and mm -hmm. leave people wanting it's, you know, I'm out, baby. Yeah, <laughs> I see what you mean. Do you think he'll ever come back to WWE? No, no. I think, you know, like if they can't even arrange for him to do his Hall of Fame speech, like he's he's done wrestling-wise. And I don't think he's the type of person where, like he's not going to be a, an authority figure or a commentator. Like anything else you'd ask him to do, I don't know. And I feel like he's less an example of someone you want to be teaching and more someone to be used as like the ultimate case study on how to teach someone. Mm. So I think that Batista... 
one of the few people we talked about on this podcast where it's like hey nice little bow on the career there like you can rest easy you've done everything you personally want to set out to do sure there's fans that are probably wanting but you know you wouldn't be much of a wrestler if there weren't fans who were still wanting so yeah i think he's done and i think it's a fine end to a fine career i don't know i've got a feeling in my gut that says he'll be back joe gray wants that dlc with the better than ever <laughs> <laughs> i want him back as a manager i think it'd be great <laughs> It's too big. Nah. You tell Batista what they told me. You're too big to be a manager. Nah. It'd be funny. It'd be really good. <laughs> well, thank you everyone for your amazing tweets and your insight and your introspection about Dave Batista. This has been a really fun episode. I think we were anticipating that it was going to be heartwarming and enjoyable. And it was for all reasons we anticipated and more besides. Our next episode, we're going to look back into the past into the murky period of the 1980s and looking at one of the most important factions in wrestling history featuring many a controversial figure who have all went on to define their own legacies in wrestling but has often been held up as the prototype for the modern wrestling faction. Our next episode, we're going to be looking at the Four Horsemen and its many incarnations. So we're looking at your thoughts, your memories, your feedback about where this group stands in the grand scheme of wrestling because there was a period of time where they would have been considered the most important faction but as years have went on and controversies have mounted for some of the members of it it feels like perhaps the star of the four horsemen is not as shining brightly in the sky as it once was but i'm very interested to go back and look with you joe at some old time territory based wrestling because when we've delved into that over on pay-per-view classic on our patreon page we've ended up having quite a good time indeed. Mm. I think we've just watched The Iron Claw as well, so yeah. I think that that period of time is very much running rampant in yeah. our minds. So a lot of you will probably be joining us for the first time on this ride into the past, but if you're a grizzled old or a grizzled young veteran who's got some memories about the Four Horsemen, we'd love to hear them using the hashtag HowToForHorsemen. I apologize in advance, Joe. There's almost definitely going to be a War Games match along the way here. And I will say, that's for the number horsemen as well. But uh, yeah, hashtag how to for horsemen. And as always, if you want to support this show, and if you want to get access to a whole bunch of extra content, we've mentioned some of our series here during the episode, like Totally Divas or monthly pay-per-view reviews from WWE and AEW, as well as our ongoing fabulous pay-per-view classic series, where we've just dropped SummerSlam 2013, which has synced up perfectly with our time on Total Divas. Mm -hmm. You can join us over at patreon.com forward slash howtowrestling. A little as $5 a month, you get access to that entire back catalogue. We've been running this since 2016, so you will get a lot of content and a minimum of two to three pieces of new content each and every month over there at our Patreon page. And we like to keep this show ad-free and fan and listener supported. And we do so thanks to our lovely backers over there at that Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Wrestling. But until next time, when we're going to be settling up with a couple of horsemen heading down to the dark ages of the 1980s, it's going to be a goodbye from me, Kevin. And a goodbye from me, Joe. And we'll see you next time on How To Wrestling. See ya.